2: Well, I got here through the drizzle, which turned into snow. Because, uh, again, Frank Morano that you normally hear on the other side of midnight, is goal-breaking, slacking, dead-beating. He is intent on matching his hero, his mentor, Buttigieg, 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 the failed Secretary of Transportation. Ah who is responsible for so much of the malaise involving supplies and shipping and trucking all over America because he decided, oh, I have to be with my little baby for three months. Buttigieg, 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 Buttigieg. So Frank Morano has decided he wants to be like Buttigieg. Now look at Greg Kelly, right? Greg Kelly, baby came into the world. His wife had a baby on Friday, his second daughter He's back on the air on Monday, right? Back on the air on Monday. Now, he wasn't gold bricking, slacking, or trying to take it, uh, take advantage of the paternity train. You know, oh, you get extra moolish moolah, that's right. Oh, yeah, you didn't know that, did you? This is like when all of a sudden you rip off unemployment or you rip off <sighs> disability. Like you, you take SSI when you don't deserve it. And there he is. He's got his bouncing boy, Carmine, now 16 pounds. Upon birth two weeks ago, he was, uh, what, 13 pounds. And he's loving every second of it and claiming that he has postpartum depression at the mere thought that he has to leave his humble abode somewhere on Staten Island and schlep all the way into the studios here in Manhattan. And yet we find in the wake of him deciding it is more important to milk the system, then be here. We received a call just a few days ago from a lifelong listener here at WABC who was crestfallen, who just felt that he had had been violated. No, not sexually. I'm not suggesting that Frank did that. I don't know if he's capable of that. But that he had been violated because he had brought to Frank's attention on the other side of Midnight. That, you know, uh, John Lennon's anniversary, Strawberry Field, his assassination, his execution. And then all of a sudden, Frank promised him, yeah, we'll do a commemoration. And what happened was no commemoration. So to try to make up for this, I have decided that we will honor that commitment. We will not renege. I will not do a Frank Morano, act like a politician. You know how politicians are, although I became a politician when I first declared for the mayoralty back in May, excuse me, March, as I shook my first hand and started kissing babies, you know, without putting that Purell all over my hands. That proves you're a hardcore politician. But I will fulfill that commitment. And earlier tonight in the drizzle and in the snow... I went to Strawberry Fields. Yes, in the shadow of the Dakota where December 8th 1980, John Lennon was gunned down. By the way, I want to sort of prick all your memories out there as to what transpired. Because you all knew where you were. And you all connected the dots as to what had transpired. And I'm going to open up the phone lines because we're going to have a full-fledged discussion. I'll tell you momentarily what my experience was tonight, undercover. Hush, hush, mush, mush. I didn't even say anything because, you know, I opened my mouth. Hey, that's Curtis Sleever, right? Nope. I wanted to be able to go in and see what it would be like. So, um, board engineer, could you describe how I am dressed, how I went into Strawberry Field? in Incommonicule. Uh, in. Uh, These final words, these (laughs) multi-syllabic words, I'm having difficulty with them.
3: Uh, Right now, Curtis is uh, wearing a black hoodie. Uh, He has his headphones on underneath the hood, and he doesn't have his signature beret on
2: his head. But but notice, what kind of pants (laughs) am I wearing in the winter? Look at this. He's wearing khakis. khakis. (laughs) Right. Not like Frank Murano corduroy. And who would be wearing corduroy, and why? Why do they not, do people wear corduroy pants, right? That's like wearing high waters, you know, when you survive the floods of the Missouri River, longest river in America, not the Mississippi River. MIS, So I come in there looking like I'm for Poe Dunk, Iowa, right? I got the black hoodie over here. You know, like uh all of a sudden I'm like slim shady, you know. Yeah, 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 eight mile, eight mile. And then I got these tan slacks on, which really makes me look dopey. Like maybe I came from Hawaii. By the way, who came from Hawaii to put an end to John Lennon on December 8th, 1980? All the way from Hawaii. I don't know if it was Maui, I don't know it was Oahu. I don't know if it was from any of the four islands. Our number is one 800 That's 1-800-848-WABC. And so I decided to fulfill a commitment that Frank Morano had made, but he had broken that promise, proving he is a politician, because I don't care who they are, Republicans or Democrats, what is one thing that politicians have in common? They make promises and they break promises all the time. So I said, what can I possibly do for Frank Morano? You know, I've been bashing and trashing him, humiliating him, degrading him, and he deserves all of that. But what can I do to sort of like uh, sort of get back into good graces with him as he has his bouncing baby Carmine on his knee, all 16 pounds? He already has to go for reconstructive knee surgery. I mean, the kid is 16 pounds. My God. And he has him listening to me in the overnights. I mean, you're talking, the kid may turn out to be Charlie Manson. By the way, we will be talking about Charlie Manson. Oh, yeah. And how many of these freakasoids, jet-setters, trendoids, these rockabillies and rock and rollers, uh, like, worship Charlie. Oh, Charlie, 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 Charlie. But I digress. So I decided, you know what, unlike Frank Morano, who made that promise and then naturally started doing uh, retrospectives on uh, Al Jolson and Eddie Cantor, instead of on the passing of John Lennon, an iconic figure, that's when New York City changed, especially with public safety. I decided to go into Strawberry Fields tonight, a little drizzle, a little snow, it's about, I'd say... 30 people there, nice mixture, you know, old, burnt-out hippies and young people who don't even know what hippies are. And they were singing, you know, Give Peace a Chance, Strawberry Fields. They were playing instruments. No Ravi Shankar. Nobody was trying to play the sitar. What the hell was Ravi Shankar doing on Ed Sullivan in 1970? That was a disgraziata. That's what you call pay-for-play. The Beatles were probably telling Ed... We don't want to see Topo Jijo on that stage any longer. And if you ever hope to get the Beatles back on the stage at the Ed Sullivan Theater, you better have this guy, this wannabe guru, this guy crossing his legs and playing the sitar that nobody liked. Ravi Shankar. you remember that? Hell, sitar. I'd rather they brought somebody playing the kazoo up there. You know, the warm-up, warm-up act for them. Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Shankar. Were you as perplexed as I was when all of a sudden Ed Sullivan, instead of having Topo Chijo up there, had Ravi Shankar because the Beatles pressured him by saying, if you ever want to see us up on that stage, you better take this guy crossing his legs and playing this sitar. And you know, Ed Sullivan probably said half in the bag, what the hell is a sitar? Oh, but if I get the Beatles, I'll do anything, right? Who the hell was this guy? Ravi Shankar. And who's that wannabe guru who is snacking on all the women? You know, pious. I'm celibate. And then these schmucks, the four beetles, go off to the the, the canyons of uh, the Himalayan mountains in Kathmandu, you know, outside there, northern India, in order to hang out with the Maharishi, who ends up snacking on all the women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, Pope, Pope Francis said, uh, you, know, you know something, the sins of the flesh? Don't worry about it. It's no longer a major sin. What the hell? I went to Confirmation. I went to Communion. I went to learning the Catholic Catechism, right, the Baltimore Catechism, not the Cincinnati Catechism. Remember, there was a Cincinnati Catechism and there was a Baltimore Catechism. I took the Baltimore Catechism, and they said that the sins of the flesh... Well one of the worst seven sins that you can have. And you now you know what he says? Oh no, that's not true anymore. Because I know our, our priests are snacking all over the place on women and having families on the side, home slices. So instead I'm replacing the uh, sins of the flesh as the seven worst sins with pride. Now did he mean gay pride or did he mean one's humongous pride? Because apparently if you're a transgender, you cannot be baptized now in the Catholic Church. I'm trying to figure that one out. I thought they need as many converts as they can get. As long as they contribute on Sunday, right? You contribute on Sunday, hey, you know, let them in. Mobsters kill, rape, rob, oh, bury them in a Catholic cemetery. Look, look at St. John's in Woodhaven. Every time I go to visit, my grandfather, Fidela Bianchino, my grandmother, Nicoletta Bianchino. Who I see there, tombstones, mausoleums, to every mobster choking on his lobster. How the hell did they have a wake, a funeral in a Catholic church, and get buried in a Catholic cemetery? But I, uh, I am digressing here. This is a night we put aside, for the memory of John Lennon, the only Beatle I could stand. I hated Paul McCarthy with a passion and still do. Ringo Starr, he should have been on the monkeys. Uh Harry Harrison, I hated him because he called himself the morning mayor. What votes did he ever get? So I want to call myself the nighttime, the early morning, whatever, whatever whatever slot I, I'm asked to do here by John Katz and Matitas. Oh wait a second. Harry Harrison. Oh, that's WABC. That's right. Spinning. George Harrison. Oh, George. That's right. Oh, yeah. He's the one who got him hooked up with that Maharashi guy. Right? 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 the hell? They got to schlep all the way to India there. You know, what are they they eating? Oh, my God. You know, hey. I'm giving up drugs. You believe the Beatles gave up drugs when they met the Maharashi? These guys were dropping acid like there was no tomorrow. Judy in the Sky with Diamonds. What the hell did that? That was a druggy song. <sighs> Boy, this was supposed to be a positive reaffirmation. Peace, love, and happiness. Give peace a chance. You know, an ode to John Lennon tonight. A tribute to the 30 people who showed up in the drizzle and the snow. <sighs> and then. All of a sudden, I'm standing there like a real Huckleberry, right? With these high waters on, these tan, tan slacks in December. Like I don't stand out. I got this black hoodie on, so I look like Slim Shady, you know, from 8 Mile. (laughs) And two people are having a conversation there. Boomers. Not the hipsters and millennials. Boomers, who obviously grew up with the Beatles and John Lennon and Harry Harrison and George Harrison. And I hear the guy saying, Hey, you know, I heard Curtis Lee was supposed to be dropping it. Ooh. All of a sudden, my ego was stroked. Wow. One of these old codgers must have been listening to me. And this other old codger says, Curtis, Curtis Lee, I didn't vote for him because he hated the Beatles, which have been very consistent. I mean, that's me. I missed the consistency. I said I hate the Mets because I'm a Yankee fan. If if you're a tried and true Mets fan, you got to hate the Yankees. I've always said I hated the Beatles. But I gave a a pass, a reprieve, to John Lennon. Not Yoko Ono, John Lennon. But I don't know enough about John Lennon. I got to be honest with you. I really wasn't into John Lennon at that time. Hey, a little bit here. You know, yeah, the New York shirt. I pimped off of that. I had it on my big poster, you know, running for mayor. Remember, I'm opening up my my, my communion jacket there. That's about the only jacket I still have, suit jacket left. 100% vooster. I bought it at Pitkin Avenue with my Aunt Mary. 100% vooster. So I'm going to need a little help from a lot of you because I know a lot of you, you mourned the loss of John Lennon. He had become a New Yorker even though he was birthed in Liverpool. Oh, God, have you ever been to Liverpool? What a miserable city. And never sunshine. It's always gray clouds. It's always a drizzle. It's like somebody's tinkling on your head all the time. Oh, by the way, I also was in Nottingham, right? Nottingham. Oh, you know, Robin Hood and the Merry Men, right? Nottingham, the Sheriff of Nottingham. I go visit there when I organized the Guardian Angels in London, and the Sheriff of Nottingham was black and from Jamaica. Tell me I didn't think I was on LSD. And by God, I was only there for like a day. It drizzled the whole day. It was so miserable. No wonder why these people went out and conquered the world, the English. England is a miserable place to be. Scotland, a miserable Wales, the absolute worst. Northern Ireland, uh, eating Ireland. Ireland is green. Northern Ireland, huh? Yeah. Uh, They'll have to get a few chia pets there to show any green in Northern Ireland. By the way, I was thinking, they have all these different chia pets that I was denied as a kid. We only had one solitary chia pet for Christmas. Now they got all kinds of chia pets. They're flooding the market, and they're fakes out there, fake Chia Pets. They were selling them on Canal Street off Broadway. I said to myself, knock off Chia Pets? What else are they going to steal from Hollywood, these Red Chinese, and from our beloved Christmas celebration? When all else failed, right? When you threw nickels around like manhole comes like Frank Morano, when you were cheap... Frugal, as some would say, people were when they were wealthy or rich. You went out and you bought a Chia Pet. And you told the kid when he came in Chia Pet, oh, this is like having a biology class. You know, you put water in there, what, a St. Joseph baby aspirin, and all of a sudden it grows sprouts. And some of you were stupid enough to make solids of sprouts from a Chia Pet thinking it was Brussels sprouts. Wait, wait. This is supposed to be peace, love, and happiness. Give peace a chance, John Lennon. I'm going berserklyoid tonight. Is that a new word, berserklyoid? Did I just create a new word? It is now. You never know when I do it on purpose. You never know when it's a slip of the lip. You never know when it's a spoonerism, a malaprop or a fractured Curtis Slewa phrase, or I'm doing a Dr. Oren Corey or Norm Cosby, or it's just Curtis Sliwa and Sliwanis. You never know. Inquiring minds want to know. None of your B.I.B. business. So let's open up the phone lines. You're going to educate me on the life and times of John Lennon. And I've got questions for all of our listeners. That's right. I don't need no freaking guest to talk about john lennon you know who's just giving you the stale rhetoric did you read my book did you read my book about john lennon page 48 you got my book on amazon you know it sold eight copies and they keep giving the the notation of how to get their freaking matchbook comic book no i'm going to depend on the listeners to tell me about john lennon i am going to ask them a series of questions i am going to be the inquisitor And I'm expecting all of you to respect the life and times and the legacy of John Lennon. No, no, not Yoko Ono. John Lennon. Answer my freaking questions. The first question I pose to all of you. What trendoid freakazoid jet setter was actually standing outside the Dakota with the mobs of fans who were mourning on the night that it was announced that John Lennon had been shot and killed. By a guy with three names. Never trust a guy with three names. Mark David Chapman, huh? What trendoid? What freakoid? By the way, where was Yoko Ono when all this took place, huh? Not quite. I'm not quite up to date on that. I'm sure many of you listeners know. Although these are the Frank Morano listeners. I, I mean, I'm expecting a lot. Here's Frank Morano, who denied a caller. By, by claiming, hey, wait a second, we're going to do a commemoration, a retrospective on John Lennon. And then all of a sudden, the next day, he said, psych! Mm. We're doing it on Al Jolson and Eddie Cantor instead. I'm sure that thrilled the Frank Marano uh, audience. Oh, yeah. I remember oh. I was sitting in shul in synagogue. I remember Eddie Cantor singing in the Lower East Side. Yeah, yeah, sure you did. And I believe that they did. 1-800-848-9222. Any other night I said, uh, where did you get your red cream without the freaking eggs and the salted rod pretzel on Cannon Street? I've been looking for Cannon Street in the Lower East Side for a month of Sundays. Where the hell is Cannon Street? So I can get myself a good egg cream with real eggs and salted rod pretzels. Can anybody out there tell me where Cannon Street is? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848. W.A.B.C. Oh, this is Christmas. And
4: what have you done? Another year over.
2: By the way, uh, where was when Yoko? Was she uh, so the- of... Oh. Did they cut that out? Because, you know, he couldn't do anything without Yoko there. She ruined everything. Everything. Although Paul McCartney, who's in a, a purple haze all the time, what does he smoke? Like an ounce a day? I mean, the guy's always smoking reefer. Claimed that it wasn't Yoko who broke up the Beatles. Was, he, you know, for years we always thought, oh, Yoko, oh, Yo, you know, a woman. You know, it's like Eve with Adam, right? They always blame the woman, Yoko. I thought it was because she couldn't sing and, and John wanted her to sing, you know, it's like, ooh, that's, that's almost as bad as forcing Ed Sullivan to put Ravi Shankar on the guitar on Sunday evening, the number one most watched variety program in 1970. By the way, that live read I did for the skinny center had to be the most disjointed, longest live read that has ever been done in the history of talk radio. Well, let's go to the phones, one 800 That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, take a chill pill out there. We're going to get to all the John Lennon and rockabilly callers out there. But apparently Mike in Manhattan, finally after days of me inquiring, knows where Cannon Street is. Is that true, Mike? Yeah,
5: yeah it's, uh, if you ever go far east on Grand Street toward the FDR Drive, East River Drive, there's an area called Cooperative City, not Co-op City, but Cooperative City. It's uh, it's like a Mitchell-Lama housing project.
2: Now, now, let me ask you a question. Does Cooperative City mean that all the tenants cooperate with one another like they're on a kibbutz well, in Israel? They
5: cooperate in that they all the money that they would charge for rent all goes f- to a cooperative. Okay, okay. Like... uh business. Street. Now,
2: now, what street is that again now? So, I have my divining you know, right, because I was on... East Grand. You okay. Know, Grand beyond yeah, Pitt Street. Yeah, yeah. Like, east of Pitt street, I never saw Cannon Street there. I never saw Cannon Street there. Mike, why are you lying okay. to me? You know me. Here, People say, I know more about New York City see. than anybody else, right? I never saw Cannon Street, Mike. Where is Cannon Street? Just answer the question. Don't give me, don't give me a Wikipedia history of Cannon Street. Access
5: to some of the buildings in Cooperative City. At one time, it may have been a through street, but now it's like a building will have an entrance on Grand Street, but it'll it'll have a Cannon Street entrance. It's in between Delancey, you know, underneath the entrance to the Williamsburg Bridge and Grand. There's like kind of like blind alleys. Broom Street is over there again. Oh, so let me cars. ask you, you question, so a question, Mike. So Cannon Street entrance. Wait, 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 Lower this guy. Lower
2: this guy, Mike. He's giving us like the history. I want to know where the where the hell is Cannon Street? Because it ain't there now. Oh, it's a back alley. It's underneath the ground. It's in a basement of a cooperative. He won't answer the question. I gotta get my egg cream. Apparently it's the only place still in existence that makes an egg cream with real old fashioned eggs. And I gotta get the salted rod pretzel there. There used to be the candy store right there on Cannon Street. I know it was there. Where did Cannon Street go? It's sorta of like Whatever happened to limbo. We're going to be talking about the Catholic Church later. Now that the uh, Pope has said, oh, the sins of the flesh, that's not a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, whatever happened to Limbo? We know what happened to Limbo. Unfortunately, Russ passed to the hereafter. What happened to Limbo for those unbaptized babies who died early? They brainwashed me that, oh, they didn't go to purgatory. They didn't go to heaven. They certainly didn't go to hell. They went to a place called Limbo. And then the next thing you knew, there was no more limbo. Like there's no more Cannon Street. You can't just eliminate a street. It's on the map. It says Cannon Street. And I use my Curtis Sliwa GPS, my divining rod. You know me. I know where all the bones are buried and who buried them. Everybody says, whether they like me or they don't like me, Curtis Sliwa knows more about New York City than any other person. And I, I consent to that. I paid for that message. Where the freak is Cannon Street? You see that guy? He's giving, oh, oh, he won't answer the question because he doesn't know. When people start rambling with gambling, no, no, what does this have to do with John Gambling? Was that? R gambling, B gambling, A gambling? It's one of the gamblings. When they start rambling like that, that means they really don't know. I am obsessed with finding out where Cannon Street is in the Lower East Side. It's written about in books. It's been on maps. It's been in movies, documentaries. And now, there's no more Cannon Street. It's gone. Is that sort of symptomatic of what's going to happen in New York City with global warming and climate change when we're all underwater and we're all gone? 1-800-848-9222. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one 848 WABC. Let's go to Greg in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on our John Lennon retrospective here at WABC. The one that Frank Marano wouldn't give you.
6: <laughs> hey Curtis.
2: Yeah, that's me. That's me.
7: Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm listen. I love John Lennon as much as you do. But I got to say, you know, he was a really competitive guy. And you see the
3: way he interacted with McCartney, who, I mean, McCartney's kind of a, he's a jerk, but he was very talented. But, you know, you see the way Lennon
8: was with Harry Nilsson, and there's that clip of him with Dylan. He was very competitive, and uh, just what do you have to
7: say about that?
2: Well, I think it all goes back to Liverpool. Have you ever been in Liverpool, Greg?
9: Yeah, it's rough. And, oh,
7: uh, God!
2: It,
9: and I think it's interesting that the Beatles came out of Liverpool, but the Rolling Stones were like
7: upper middle class guys, and the music was so different.
2: Yeah, I liked their music better. I really did. I <laughs> like I like Mickey 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 Mickey. My button fell off my trousers, and all the girly girlies would go Ooh Mickey 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 Mickey. <laughs> The guy's like 80 years old now. He's doing splits. He's jumping up on the stage. He's doing splits. What have they shot him with?
7: (laughs) Well, I bet he's got some of the, the parts they took out of Madonna. They probably put them into him.
2: Yeah, and by the way, that posterior of Madonna, what kind of shots was she taking? Because she never had big butt syndrome before. Now, all of a sudden, she's like Bertha Butt
1: crazy. It's it's really sick, actually.
2: Yeah, well, let me tell you. This world is getting sicker every moment. There are sick olas everywhere. But they weren't at Strawberry Field tonight. No, no, no. In fact, uh, I did record that, you know, I'm a Luddite. I'm not very good at sending emails texting in fact some of my emails have uh, shown up in family court so i've decided hey i ain't i ain't emailing anymore oh no it costs me too much money but now the pope says the sins of the flesh are no longer serious that's what i got charged with i want a rebate pope You made it seem that I had considered the worst of the seven sins, sins of the flesh, carnal sins of the flesh. And I goes, psych. Not really pride. Pride is the worst than sins of the flesh. Do you know how many people we would have to take with a, uh, we would have to take with a forklift? Because of their humongous pride. Now, I'm not mentioning any names like uh, Sid Rosenberg. I I mean, uh, but you know what I'm talking about. You need a crane to get his ego in and out of a room. But he's a Jew who wants to be a Catholic. How many times have I listened to Sid in the morning? I went to St. Patrick's Cathedral today. He should take a menorah. And he should impale himself. He wants to convert. I saw Greg Kelly talking to him the other night at the birthday party for Margot Katsimatidis, and they were kicking religion. And, you know, Greg Kelly now, he's like a born-again, Holy Roller guy. You know, he throws Jesus around from time. I think he's trying to get his pathway to heaven by converting Sid Rosenberg into an Italian Roman Catholic. That would be Sid Rosenberg's dream come true. A Supreme Cuisine who gets baptized at the age of, how old is Sid, 70, 75? I don't know, because of all that Botox. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. God, this torturous. Where did you get this? From whose library? From the John Lennon library. This is not a good John Lennon song. Go ahead, pump it up. Let me hear it. Let me hear it. Oh. I hated this one. I mean, out of all the great John Lennon songs. What about the time he's at the Amsterdam airport? And he's uh, in his of uh, Perfect sleeper mattress there with Yoko Ono. They were, like, sleeping there in the airport for, like, 52 days, fornicating and cop- copulating while smoking ropes of dope. You could do that in Amsterdam. You know, they have the cannabis bowl there. What about the songs they created then with Yoko Ono going, Oh, no. I must have asked like ten questions of the Frank Morano listeners. You figure, wow, if there's one thing they would know, it's about the Beatles and John Lennon. They know nothing about nothing. So I'm gonna try again. Who was the biggest super fan of the Beatles? Who was the biggest super fan of the Beatles of all time? Let me give you a little hint. He was infamous. That should nail it for you. What do I have to do? Slip you the answer? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So let me go back to the questions, okay? Let's try to be simple now. Mark David Chapman. We hate him. We loathe him. We despise him. What jail is he in? How many times has he been up for parole here in New York State? And how come he hasn't been paroled yet? Think about it. Almost every other killer of famous people has either qualified for parole, tried to kill Reagan, remember Hinkley? He's going to bowling leagues every Saturday and Sunday unsupervised because he's now free. Where is Mark David Chapman? And what was the response of Yoko Ono? And her son, Sean, not Julian. Why? How, how come Julian doesn't participate in this, right? That's the other question I have here. No, No answers. Because, you see, they want me to have a guest here who already has the questions already written out. You ask me these questions, the guest says, and I'll give you the answers because it took me like five days to memorize them. But I just wrote a book on John Lennon. If you wrote a book and you're an expert, why did it take you five days to write out the questions with the answers? Because maybe I should be talking to the ghostwriter and not you, who didn't give any credit to the ghostwriter. one 800 That's 1-800-848-WABC. Oh, wait a second. We didn't play the music that I recorded at Strawberry Field tonight. From like thirty people there. I think they were playing the kazoos, the recorders, they had all kinds of instruments, they were singing. Rate this music, pick it or pan it. See? Did you see that on any media? Of course not. I was incognito with my tan slacks, not my corduroy, and my hoodie that made me look like Slim Shady. 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 WABC. I want to assemble an American bandstand picket or pan it panel there. That could I hear a little bit of that music here now, a little bit, and just give me an idea because this was all very creative, all on the spot. They hadn't practiced. They were coming from all different parts of the country to pay homage to the passing of John Lennon. Some had instruments that I I wasn't even aware of. Somebody brought an oboe. The hell? Why did always the smartest kids play the oboe in orchestra? Did you ever figure that out? Oh, that means they're the smartest kid. Because they're playing the freaking oboe. And what, what 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 the, the maestro goes to the oboe player like one time in the whole concerto and they, they do one move and that's it. That's why they're smart. They don't have to practice the oboe. The hell, who the hell would want to play the oboe? And it was considered like, oh, a sign of great distinction. That you could bring the oboe back and forth to your house. They would actually let you take your own instrument home. Not the other instruments. They had to stay in band class, orchestra class. But if you were the oboe person, you got an opportunity to wheel that oboe home. To be able to show everybody how smart, how intelligent, what a freaking brown nose you were. Why would anybody want to play the oboe? I know it has nothing to do with the Beatles. It's Ravi Shankar, the sitar. 1970 on the stage with Ed Sullivan. I'd rather see Topo G. What was that guy doing there? Because what did they tell Eddie? We, you will never see us if you don't put Ravi Shankar up there and lose ratings that night. Oh, yeah, and all the cognoscenti would go, oh, such magnificent music. They hated it like I hated it. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to uh, Steve in central New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve.
3: Hey, Curtis. Thanks for taking my call. Huge beetle. Here.
2: Uh, hold on a second. Drop, drop, not his drawers. Drop the uh, curtain for a second. I say I got to retrain the Frank Morato audience. Thanks for taking my call, right? Now, now think about it. We have just about approached an hour of programming since we learned from Dominic Carter how the biggest building in the world, two times the size of the Empire Statement, is going to be built, right? Yeah. And you asked me, thanks for taking my call. I must have given the number out like 52 times. Shouldn't I be thanking you, Steve? For patiently waiting on the line, so that I I could then exchange dialogue with you.
3: Yes, uh, Curtis, I screwed up. I'm sorry because when I when I call some of the others, I'm used to saying that. I got to remember that. Of course, okay, so I won't make that. Of course, because they make- give
2: Steve. They give you a pass. They they want. They're so desperate for callers. They don't want to renounce callers. They don't want to send you for remedial <laughs> education. I've seen some of these guys and gals. They're struggling. They they're signaling to the engineer. How come nobody loves me? How come nobody wants to call up? None of my sickle fans, Tony's and lackeys, and tell me how great I am. How wonderful wonderful I am. Oh, oh, oh. Steve, don't ever do that. Don't ever try to pull that on me. Because I know.
3: I beg for your pardon. I yeah, beg for your pardon.
2: Yeah, I know. Okay. i lower Steve for a second. Because he got me all mad, all bent out of shape here. I'm going to roll him over to the next hour. Let's see, right? He'll probably go to the men's room in the interim because, you know, all of a sudden his prostate is swollen. Like his head. He thinks he's so important. But he's going to go off to the little men's room. He's going to realize, hey, it was a false flag. Hey, guys out there, did you ever get the false flag at night where you think you had a tinkle? Because you got the swollen prostate that is as swollen as your ego. You schlep off to the bathroom and there's nothing but a little tinkle, huh? Huh? You think I should discuss that coming back? Since I'm an expert on that. Hey, I'm a self appointed expert on a lot here at WABC.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning.
9: Harry Harrison, the morning mayor. CBS FM. But it's Thursday. Hang in there. Weekend 101.
2: Yeah, he was one of the Beatles. W-A-B-C. And look at this idiot board board operator. He uses a cut from WCBS. All the cuts of Harry Harrison, who, by the way, was a carpetbagger. I think he came from Illinois, lived in New Jersey, yet called himself the morning mayor of the top 40, spinning stacks of wax station in America, W-A-B-C. And you play a cut from WCBS. Now, this, I'm going to report to the cat man. This is like, this is a outredito. What are you, what are you, angling for a job at WCBS FM here? Yeah, why don't you go over there with uh, Scott? You know Scott? You know, you know what Scott I'm talking about? Not Scott Muni. You know what Scott, what Scott am I talking about? Scott Shannon. Very good. You get immense surprise playing a cut of Harry Harrison from WCBS. We have an entire library of Harry Harrison cuts here, calling himself the morning mayor. You just did that to piss me off, right? No, that was just the only one I could find. (laughs) Probably have a, f- a problem finding a three-piece set below your navel, too. Anyway, our numbers, one 800 848 848 wabc As we continue on, remember I promised all of you we would do a retrospective of the life and times of John Lennon on this, the anniversary of his assassination outside of the Dakota on 72nd Street in Central Park West, where I was at Strawberry Field earlier this evening, incognito wearing my black hoodie, looking like Slim Shady from 8 Mile, and actually my tan pants. They might as well have been away. Can I hear a little bit of the singing of those who had assembled? About 30 people. Oh, God. I'd rather, I'd rather lay on a bed of nails left behind by uh, Ravi Shankar, you know, playing the uh, sitar. Or that Maharaji Yogi guy that lured them over to that ashram while he was snacking on all their women. How could they be so stupid? But look, look. I asked one simple question in that first hour. And look, I'm trying to make amends because Frank Morano had promised to do a retrospective. You know, let's face it, this is one of the times you're asked, where were you when you heard that John Lennon was shot and killed, right? There are rare moments. It's like, where were you when JFK was assassinated in Dallas? Where were you when Martin Luther King was assassinated in Memphis? You know, where were you when Robert Kennedy... Was shot and killed in Los Angeles by the guy that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. wants to release, Sirhan Serhan. What is wrong with him? What? What? Well, let's not get into that. Tell you how the time it was there on the East River. You know, right down there near the helicopter, the helipad. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was conducting a fundraiser, I think, for the uh, water keepers or the water walkers or whatever that was, the Hudson Hudson River water walkers. And he challenged me to swim across the East River to Brooklyn. Now, one thing we know about the Kennedys, they're all swimmers. They swim in alcohol and they know how to swim. Just ask Ted Kennedy. We'll avoid that right now because I digress. I ask one simple question. Who is the most infamous fan? Their number one fan of the Beatles. That should be an easy one. A layup. No, a tip-in. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Dave in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dave.
6: Yeah, I'm going to say Phil Spector, the the famous record producer.
2: (laughs) Phil Spector. With that freaky hair. I mean, didn't you think he was a freak, Dave? Yeah, he was, man. But Definitely. you see, in the rock and roll world, the freakier you are, the more freaky deaky you were, the more accepted you were, right? Right, right. So you have all these rock and roll fans. They love, I love Phil Spector. I love the Ronettes. Yeah, I did too. They were great. Oh, God. They were great. Were they drop-dead gorgeous or what? I I, I love
6: that doo-wop stuff, man. I love that. Yeah, but the Ronettes,
2: they were from East Harlem. Did you know they were from East Harlem? They were local girls. Drop-dead gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Phil Spector. Phil Spector looked like a burnt-out transvestite with that hair, that mile-high hair. What a freak. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Whatever happened to the Ronettes? I'm still asking, whatever happened to Dawn If Tony Orlando and Dawn? I don't get the answers. I don't know. By I the way, remember Chips? remember Chips? Remember Chips? Remember who uh, uh, Poncho was, right? Poncho and Chips, uh, California Highway Police. Remember that, Dave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric Estrada. Yeah. Remember Eric Estrada? Sure. Where was he sure. from? I asked that question for like five nights. I didn't get one answer. Typical it's, it's a, a Frank Morano. He was from East Harlem too. In fact, he yeah, dated yeah, yeah, he right. dated one of the Ronettes. Lucky him. Yeah, I didn't know that. Oh see, you learn it. You see, unlike with Frank Morano here, you learn something when Curtis yeah, Lee that's, was that's here, good. right? That's good. I yeah, nourish good I that's nourish your thing. mind, yeah. your soul. I expand your universe. Haven't I expanded your universe, David? Yes, most
6: definitely, yes.
2: Just, uh, just admit, yeah. you couldn't have been more hopelessly wrong about that answer. Admit that, David.
6: Yeah, okay. yeah I, I thought I was right, but, okay. you know, Hey, look, hey, look like, we I, all make I mistakes. I made a pretty good stab at it. Yeah, 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 yeah good, good stab
2: don't stab me. You know, a lot of stabbing went yeah, on in know East Harlem. Uh, you like, know. what I'm
10: saying, huh? Yeah, I know. Yeah, all right. Yeah, okay,
2: yeah. Have, a good, have a good night, David. See, I had to placate him, humor him. What the hell? Oh, wait. If memory serves me correct... Phil Spector did hang out with John Lennon after the breakup on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, Cali Cali. They weren't doing LSD. They weren't smoking reefer. They were knocking back, I think it was Jameson at the time. You know, I think, am I right? Am I, ladies and gentlemen, am I right that John Lennon was part Irish, that's why he'd be drinking Jameson? Up the Rebels, up the Rebels, as he be knocking back some Hennessy. uh some Jameson. Was I correct on that? one 800 let us go to John in Hell's Kitchen. Who are the biggest fan of the Beatles?
8: Murray Decay in the swinging Soiree. <laughs> You're, out of
2: your
9: mind, man. You're out of your mind. He's the one who introduced them with Cousin Brucie.
2: No, that doesn't mean he's the biggest fan. Did the Beatles the dedicate? Fan? Did the Beatles dedicate a song to Murray the K, the Swinging Soiree? Huh?
9: Hey, hey, Curtis, take it easy, yo. Listen, just because you're in for Frank Marano, relax. Marano's a moron, and so are you. I,
2: I was at Strawberry Fields tonight. You know, let's give peace a chance. Why didn't you come up with that song? So Mr. Engineer here comes up with every John Lennon song that I hate, except the one that will pacify me, that will be like liquid Prozac, so I don't find that Gavon and punch his schnoz right down his throat. Frank Marano is a moron and you're a moron. I'm no Frank Marino, that's for sure. I ain't ever graduated. I didn't even get a GED. Please. And remember, they left me back in kindergarten. (sighs) Let's go to Joe... No, no, Derek. Derek in Montclair, New Jersey. Derek, I understand you want to school me on the oboe that only the Brainiac kids were permitted to play in band class and orchestra, right?
9: Well, um, Curtis... uh, Um, In Montclair um, High School, that's where Joe Walsh went to school. And he played the oboe so he could get out of class early because the the whole band had to tune to the oboe.
2: Joe Walsh, wait a second. I'm having flashbacks. Going to Lake Erie, The Mistake by the Lake, Cleveland. Funk 49! I want to hear Funk 49! He said the magic words. Do you remember oh, yeah. that classic? Walsh yeah. is great. you remember that classic song of Joe Walsh? Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. every time I would hear him on the Howard Stern show, he sounded like he was in a drug-induced psychosis, right? <laughs> he just can't talk, but he can sing. You're right. Nobody asked him to talk, right? You didn't go to a freaking concert to hear Joe Walsh. Oh, there it is. Funk 49. Yes. Yes. Riff it. That's an American fan! I'll sleep all day,
11: out all night. I know where you're
12: going. I don't think that's acting
2: right. You don't think it's showing. Boom! Boom. Play your air guitar, play a little hacky shack. Derek, did that bring back memories? Derek? Hey, thanks. Oh, thanks. <laughs> get, get him out of here. By the way, uh, sleep all day, party all night. That's the theme song for the 34-year-old Finnish prime minister, the girl who was out there partying all night, right? And then she was, oh, she came down with COVID to 4 in the morning. What is she partying to 4 in the morning? And who do you party with in Finland, a moose? There were like no people in Finland. Oh, that was a great song, classic. Joe Walsh. No, no, not the former congressman, the guy who like thought he was going to challenge, you know, the Donalds in the primary, right? You, Congressman Joe Walsh, really? Oh, he was on, what was that? Uh, WIND in Chicago, part of the Salem Network. He was supposed to be the next Great Talk Radio show host, Joe Walsh. Not. 1-800-848-9222. Not the guitar player, because the guitar player certainly could not talk. He was like mumbles. That's from drinking all that water from Lake Erie, Cleveland. 1-800-848-WABC. We still can't seem to find out who is the biggest fan of all time of the Beatles. Oh, we left Steve on hold there because he was such a dullard, you know, right towards the end of the hour. Uh, So I've revived you, Steve. Uh, Did you take uh, a Red Bull so that you can contribute to this discussion?
3: I didn't take a Red Bull, Curtis, but that's okay. I... I think I know who the fan is. I'll take a. Uh, I, I think I got it. Charles M. Man- you're, you're talking about Charles Manson, aren't you?
2: Very good.
3: <laughs> All right. Huge Beatles fan, Curtis. I could talk some more about the Beatles if you want. John Lennon. Would you like to? Of uh, Of course. What, of what course. You
2: interest- you're entitled since I put you on the shelf there, and you were stupid enough to hang on for an additional <laughs> ten minutes. Why wouldn't I give you an opportunity to rise and shine? But let's first talk about this fascination that all these rockabillys, rock and rollers had with this neo Nazi, right? In fact, remember, the whole thing about Tate and bianca is he wanted to set off a race war between whites and blacks, yet they all adored him, right? Figure that out. Where'd he go? He got, we were <laughs> because this this got a little too intellectual for him you know he doesn't understand how the Beatles are tied in as the trigger for the Tate Lobianco murders obviously the Beatles didn't have any anything to do with that but it was the inspiration for Charles Manson the demon. Six six six. Satan, a neo-Nazi, a man who launched these killings. Repeat in his own words, so I could start a race war in America. And look at all these people who embraced him. Let's strain the brain of some of our listeners out there, the Frank Marano listeners. What other great rock and roll stars embraced Charles Manson over the years, even after they knew he was a racist? Neo Nazi and wanted to start a race war between white and blacks. New. Oh, here he is again. Steve. Hey, I, I figure you figured the third time is the charm, right? Steve, you the did the Googling. Time. You did the Googling, yeah. so you figured out the connection, right? <laughs> no, I. I Vincent Boy, I'm a lawyer, Curtis. Don't hold that against me. Vince oh, damn B- right is. I am.
3: Vince Bugliosi at getting the conviction he got against Charles Manson—I always admired that. All right, but let me—that whole helter-skelter thing, Curtis. I saw a documentary back in a few years ago on the 50th anniversary. That was all. Uh, that was all a bunch of garbage. The, right, uh, it, the, the motives for the murders were revenge. He thought Terry Mel- Charlie wanted to get back at Terry Melcher. That was Doris Day's son.
2: I'm not talking Doris Day. America's sweetheart, who, by the way, none of you better disparage Doris Day, who has run in life and now in death one of the largest animal-preserved sanctuaries for unwanted animals ever, of all time. You want to disparage Rock Hudson for being a fake, phony fraud? Yes, because we knew he didn't like women. Although, how many of you guys looked at Rock Hudson and you said, look at him with Doris Day. What a lovely couple they were." He wasn't into that. But Doris Day, the reason I adore Doris Day is every nickel, diamond, penny she had. And she made so many of these, we'll call them uh, all-American movies. Like Annette Funicello, you know, uh, Beach Blanket Bingo. She was like the all-American girl. Annette Funicello, a little too much Italian, a little too ethnic. But Doris Day was the all-American girl, dedicated her life to helping animals. My wife, Nancy, the hipster and millennial who has no idea who Doris Day is, has a huge picture of Doris Day in the house because she only knows her for running one of the largest animal sanctuaries in the world. But when I say, you know who Doris Day is? Oh, loves animals. The Dedicated her whole fortune, all of her land. I think she lived in Palm Springs. Correct me if I'm wrong, if you dare. 1-800-848-9222. You see, this is a stream of consciousness. We start on one subject, and I'm hip-hopping all over the place. Because I like to, at times, divert. 1-800-848-WABC. This guy knew nothing about nothing about Charlie Manson and his The love of the Beatles. Now, the Beatles had nothing to do with Charlie Manson. But there were some great rock and rollers who did. One in particular that I really liked. It broke my heart. He gave gave Charlie a Harley Davidson motorcycle. And he would jam with him on the porch. Right there in Hollyweird. Say it ain't so! Say it ain't so! 1 800 848 9222.
4: That's 1 800 848 WABC. One two three four.
2: not working on me. I'm Old Testament. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You know, you can kiss my cheeks, and you know which ones those are. I am not a pacifist. I figured that might be my form of musical Prozac tonight to calm me down, but it hasn't. Even though I was there in Strawberry Fields. I look like an okie-dokie kid, you know, with the black hoodie on like Slim Shady from 8 Mile, I had the tan slacks, like maybe I was from Hawaii Five O, And I'm standing there like a real fuddy-duddy, and I'm taping, unbeknownst to them, incognito, the songs that were being said, uh, sang by the people who were crestfallen because Frank Murano last year had promised them that he would do a commemorative show, a retrospective on the life and times of John Lennon on his day of assassination. And Frank sold them wolf tickets. Yeah, yeah we heard that earlier in the week, remember? Two callers, back-to-back, belly-to-belly. So I'm making amends. I may do the whole four hours just on this to spite Frank. And basically... It's a form of wartime compensations because you were scarred by that promise. And so, you know, when somebody is a casualty in war, unfairly, what do they do? They give compensation. So my form of compensation, since I have no money, is just to do four hours of a retrospective on John Lennon. But I said, who's the number one fan of the Beatles... We've been getting close, but no full cigar here. Let's go to Mikey and Howard Beach. Your turn to be heard here on WABC. Mike?
0: Curtis, how are you, Curtis? I uh, I just wanted to tell you what a great job you do. You really you really have me choking sometimes. You're funny. My father, God rest his soul, he loved you. Uh, and he was a hard guy to make laugh, but uh, he would just bust out laughing with the things that came out of your mouth. Anyway. Mike,
2: Mike, Mike, hold on. Being from Howard Beach, yeah. are you from New Howard Beach or Old Howard Beach?
0: 89th, 163rd, new new side.
2: No, it will. But the reason I was so good at getting people to laugh is because when they were planning to kill me or jab me or beat me into the ground, I had to get them laughing so I could get the hell out of there. (laughs) Listen,
0: it's a clever defense mechanism, Curtis, I got to tell you. It is. Anyway, you made it out. You're on top of the world. I voted for you, by the way. You and I met in front of Rikers that night. Remember I? I pulled over. I'm the teamster over at LaGuardia at night.
2: Yes. I went. You see, that one, I'll be honest, I do remember because you don't meet many teachers right there on the entrance to Rikers Island. You don't. I said teamster, not teacher. Oh, <laughs> ho, 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 ho.
0: psych. Yeah, we're we'll work Yeah, it's okay. We're working in in the airport at night. I'm stuck
2: on a graveyard shift with sure, you. Sure, it's think, another right? Lufthansa heist, right? Howard Beach. Oh, I don't know. No, I'm sorry. That was old memory cells. But well, go ahead, Mike. Anyway, yeah, I just
0: wanted to let you know. My father loved you. He, he was, like I said, he was a hard guy to make laugh. You know, and uh, he would just quietly sit there and listen to you and. He, one or two things you would say during your show we would just make them die,
2: cry out loud, laughing. Yeah, you have a good belly laugh now. Good belly laugh. Do you, know, you have good. Do you have the answer to this perpetual question that I've been asking ever since Dominic Carter was telling us some black guy is going to build an Empire State Building twice as high as the one that exists?
0: Well, it's the Empire State Project, and it's uh, it's 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 slated to take eighteen years.
2: Yeah. And uh, uh, what's the side action that the Teamsters are getting on that? Come on, be honest, Mike.
0: Well, listen, we're, we're, we're obviously going to have a representative there to make sure that no no one's cheating. Of course. You know, so that, that the men, you know, and women on the job site are, you know, getting the prevailing wage. And no, no, no show jobs, right? Nah, those days are long gone. Ah,
2: of course they are. <laughs> I'm sorry to disparage you, Mike. Those those days are long gone.
0: Those days are long gone. Everybody has to show up. But now, Mike. Up.
2: Well, you know, we'll, next we'll thing it, we're going to be talking uh, about your wife, your kids, your your entire. Answer the question.
0: No, no, there will not be any no show
2: jobs. That's not the question. The question: Who was the number one fan of the Beatles?
0: Okay, I was wrong because you said it was uh, ch- uh, Charles Manson. I, I thought it would be Maureen Starr, Ringo's wife. I mean, it was well known she was a great fan before he got together with her.
2: Yeah, groupie too. Yeah,
0: yeah. Sure. A, a day. You you think, yeah, the, wait,
2: wait, wait. You I, think? I, hold on, Mike. Between me and you, you think Maureen was like spread like peanut butter on a slice of silver cup bread between all four Beatles?
0: <laughs> oh. I don't think they had to use. Uh, use her to do that i'm sure there was plenty of other roadies that now now there,
2: could, there is some synergy here my language. how long have you lived in howard beach mike i grew up in ridgewood okay i grew they, up a, all I'm right at howard so, okay, beach, uh, do you remember on cross bay boulevard before you got onto the bell park we're going east out to long island there used to be the hospital there remember that
0: Yeah, the toy run. We used to have the annual toy run and end up there from Forest Park.
2: Right, and then it became a drug rehab center afterwards, a legitimate hospital, and it was good, because by the time you got to Jamaica Hospital, the closest other hospital, you'd bleed out. Yeah, you would have been dead, so it was a good between. So, there is one thing I have in common with Ringo Starr, because I really hated Ringo Starr. I thought he should have been the drummer on the Monkees, not the Beatles, but... So I'm at my marriage in Old Howard Beach, and I have an appendicitis attack, an appendicitis attack, which is like it could kill you. So my appendix exploded. So what does my Aunt Mary tell me as I'm writhing on the floor? I told you, Curtis, you shouldn't have swallowed those watermelon pits in, in Sunken Meadow Park. I told you, never swallow watermelon pits because you'll have an appendicitis attack. So they put me on the gurney. They take me to the Howard Beach Hospital that was active then. And you know what the doctor is telling me? He says, kid, you know, this is what Ringo Starr had. He had an appendicitis attack, and he was in a hospital for 12 months with peritonitis and in a coma. And then I turned wow. to the doctor because I was in great pain. I said, Doc, not for nothing, but I hate Ringo Starr.
0: <laughs> the luckiest drummer alive, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
2: Yeah,
0: exactly. He, he was cuter than Pete Best, so we got the
2: gig. No, uh, I, giant, I, I know. The, I
0: know. the Beatles, right? That's right.
2: That's right. Yeah, Mike, uh, I appreciate the man. Mike assures me that the Teamsters are not going to have any no-show jobs. And this is a guy from Howard Beach, right? <clears throat> sure. Sure, Mike. Hey, no, we got to make sure all our men and women are working on the job. None, that's days of old when nights were bold. That's when that happened. What does he think? What what does he think? I'm stupid? Yeah, some of our listeners do. They say, oh, we can't vote for him for mayor. He's stupid. He's a high school dropout. What the hell does he know? Well, I know a hell of a lot. I didn't push for no bail. I didn't push for defund the police for all these graduates of Ivy League schools. Don't get me started. My common sense, common sense prevails. Oh, let's go to Deborah in Fort Lee. She wants to drop time on Yoko Ono. Is this true, Debbie? Yes.
11: Yes. Hi, Curtis. Uh, I just wanted to say, first of all, we love your wife on the weekend. We hope you continue that having her on on Sunday. And secondly, Yoko donates a lot of money to the rescue groups here in Bergen County. I didn't know if you knew that.
2: No, I didn't.
11: Yes, she does. She uh, a lot of them here. It's very, she's been doing it for years, and she loves cats. So if you don't like her singing, but she's very, very good to the cats here.
2: Now, no, wait a second. Ho- Ho- hold on Let's a second, Deborah. Put put Deborah on hold for one second. Stay there, Deborah. So in Gitmo, when Dick Cheney would waterboard Khalid al-Shamk Mohammed, you know, with the henna beard, you know, I don't know about that guy. Henna Beard, you know, flowing white robes. <laughs> you think maybe uh, he had something going on in Gitmo? So there's Dick Cheney. Ah, what waterboard you. You answer my questions. You know, Darth Vader there. And then they put him in a room and they would play Yoko Ono for like 24 hours. It, it was a form of sleep deprivation. That would get me to give up everything, right? If you were in a room, put a gun to my head, play Russian roulette, torture me, right? Uh, Take electrodes, put them on my gonads, crank it up on a Delco battery, right? I'm still not giving you the information. But play a Yoko Ono song.
12: I'll
2: tell you whatever you want to know. Please stop that. Dick Cheney was jealous. Of Yoko Ono because her music extracted more information from the Al-Qaeda terrorists in Gitmo than any other form of torture. And boy, that is Imagine if you were John Lennon. You had to do a lot of acid. Because you were the one who was promoting Yoko Ono to sing. Let's go to Gary in the heartland of America where they wear corduroy in Zanesville, Ohio. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary.
10: Yes, sir.
6: I think the man that you're looking for, uh, the one that used to jam with Manson, was one of the Beach Boys. Maybe Brian Wilson.
2: How about Dennis Wilson, huh? His bro. They all love Charlie Manson. They all love Charlie Manson. They had him over to their beach house. Yeah. You know, they credited Charlie Manson for writing that song about the T-Bird. You see, if we have that song at TV. I couldn't believe the Dennis Wilson and Brian Wilson in their LSD haze, because they were dropping acid like there was no tomorrow with Charlie Manson and his girls. Remember the girls, Squeaky Fromm and the rest of them? Yeah. No, you don't. You're just placating me. You're patronizing me no. that you know. Who did Squeaky Fromm try to kill?
6: Oh, um. Yeah. That.
9: I don't
2: know. (laughs) That's good. You're honest because you're from the heartland of America. You see, if you were from the East Coast to the West Coast, you'd be a prevaricator. You'd be a out. You would lie your way out of this. But men... In the heartland of America, women, they have the roots of America. You are proud enough to say on 50,000 powerful watts of sound WABC that can be heard in 38 states and parts of Canada. And in the Bermuda Triangle, the last thing a sailor hears before they go down to Davy Jones's locker, and you were honest. You didn't know, Gary. I salute you in Zanesville, nowhere, Ohio. In the heart of America. So, he doesn't know. Who did Squeaky from try to shoot? Simple question. You know, one of the girls is Charlie Manson. But this is the Frank Morano audience. Even if they Google it, how do you spell Squeaky, huh? one 800 That's 1-800-848-WABC. Look, this is a holdover from Dominic Carter's show. this guy. I, I think we're going to go to him because he doesn't realize that I'm on, and Dominic is already home sleeping in Pomona, out there with the uh, deer and the bear in Rockland County. Let's go to Stan in Pomona. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Stan. Hey, Curtis, how you doing? Hold on a second. First, I knew it, I knew it. I knew he's a Dominic Carter caller because he hasn't been properly given remedial training for talk radio listeners. And more importantly, the one percenters of you out there who actually call. Stan, if you ask me, how am I doing? I'm going to tell you I've had better days.
0: Uh, by the way, I rarely listen to Dominic Carter. Only, you know, I'm usually working when he's on
2: so uh no. this ain't Stan you live you're his neighbor you live there right in Pomona with the deer and the bear
3: I, I do I do and the coyotes and the
6: owls and the and the hawks
2: the Hawks that's right yeah. I hate the Hawks because they steal the pigeons but go ahead Stan <laughs>
9: thanks uh so uh Curtis There was, uh, I I follow
0: uh, on Facebook law enforcement today, and there's an article that came out today, or yesterday, I should say, that really just uh, jaw-dropping as regards to, you know, the whole uh, Trump
2: fiasco in January 6th. Are we talking about January 6th? I know they're talking about January 6th on Fox News like every five seconds. I know they're talking about it on Newsmax. I know they're talking about it on MSNBC, CNBC, the CBC, the BBC. Everybody talks about January 6th, January. Did I mention January 6th one time tonight, right? Not once. Could I have a little John Lennon... Let's give peace a chance, please, because I'm getting so angry. I'm so bent out of shape. This guy is a neighbor of Dominic Carter, swears on a stack of Bibles. He never listens to Dominic Carter. And what does Dominic Carter talk about from time to time? Like everybody else here at WABC, January 6th. Please, give me my musical Prozac. Let's see if it works this time. Let's strangle that guy's stand. The only thing that the uh, the guru that you followed there, who was that, the marahashi yogi there, he was only interested in a piece of ass. He was snacking on all the groupies. Yeah, so they, they go there, they give up, they, they claim, we give up LSD, we give up drugs, we give up grog. We leave the UK, we go to nowhere India to an ashram where the monkeys are fornicating and copulating. And this Maharashi Yogi here, oh, he's like God, you know. He's nothing. So while the Beatles are doing these yogi exercises, you know, they got their legs tied behind their head there while they're staring at their navel. He's snacking on all their groupies. Yeah, yeah. That's why, that's why John Lennon left and Harry Harrison left. I mean, George Harrison. And who stayed behind? Who else? The bubblegum guy, you know, top 40, Paul McCartney. Ooh, a real-life yogi. And the dullard, Ringo Starr. He thought he was Yogi Bear. They were looking for Boo Boo Bear in Jellystone National Park. How can they be such Schmucks. A guy grows his hair, he grows a beard. In India, everybody declares themselves to be a yogi. Just like you go into an orthodox community, everybody's a rabbi. Did you get a certification that you're a rabbi? Oh, no, it's Rabbi Simon. How do I know you're a rabbi? Did you go to divinity school for rabbis? I don't have to answer you. You're Goyim. You go to India, every second guy, they got the long hair, they got the beard, I'm a yogi, I'm a yogi. All they want to do is get money from Europeans, North Americans, schmucks from Canada, from America. They say, hey, let's do the fire ceremony. So the idiots, they spend all kind of money. God forbid you smoke a cigarette on the bus that takes you there. Secondary smoke kills. Turn that stogie or that cigarette out. Then you go into this ashram. They don't even have an escape hatch for the smoke. That's how you know you're getting conned. So the yogi there says, give me what you got there, whatever money you got. Put it in the pool. He puts it in his pocket. Now we're going to do this smoke ceremony that's going to cleanse your lungs. And I'm looking at these idiots. They're putting in orange rinds, tangerine rinds, banana peels, books their sacred books they say hey we got need more kindling here let's put in our sacred books it's a ripoff. and here are all these people who god forbid you were smoking in their presence they thought they were going to get lung cancer and die they're like, i gotta cleanse all the evil out of my spirits and the yogi is saying breathe in breathe in more give me more money breathe in more and by the way What are you doing after the ashram, huh? You want to come and do some meditation? I'll put you in a yogi position. North Americans, Canadians, Americans, Europeans. What idiots. I saw this for myself. Going from Bombay, a.k.a. what do they call it now? Mubaya, Madras, and Poncheri. Let's go to Bill in Queens, uh, Bill, you know, uh, about Squeaky Fromm, one of the many ladies following the neo-Nazi, the man who tried to start a race war, loved by everyone in rock and roll, Charlie Manson?
7: Yes. And the only reason why I know that, uh, she tried to take a pop at Gerald Ford was because he was folding my newspapers. must have had about 140 news days that I had to deliver, putting rubber bands on them, and, uh... I think it was on the front page. I had that be sometime in 75, because I think he was running for election in oh, 76. Yeah,
2: that sounds right. Yeah, a, bit of, a little bit of a purple haze there, right, Bill?
7: No, actually, I fell asleep listening to, uh, what's the name?
2: Rita Cosby.
7: Rita Cosby. I was in a deep sleep, and then I wake up, and I heard you going on for a minute, and then the other guy called in, and I was half half asleep, asleep, and I hear the other guy call in, and he had, uh, you know, the aunt, uh, because he asked the bad question, the, the Bob Grant aunt. Uh, and uh, mm. then I'll get through, because uh, there's nobody, nobody out there knows this.
2: Let me tell you something, Bill. I want to salute you first for being a newspaper boy, delivery boy. Uh, you delivered how many news days uh, each day?
7: About 140.
2: And remember, Newsday was a much larger daily newspaper than the Daily News or the Post. Much thicker. It was the afternoon paper, too, at the time. Yes, I remember that well. You know what I used to deliver in the summer? I would deliver 168 Daily News each day, 182 on Sunday. And then to augment my meager income, because when you went around trying to collect, you know everybody was a deadbeat. I'll see you next week, kid. Hey, I'll double. I'll give you a double tip next week. I I I don't got you this week. You came a little too late. Did you ever have that problem collecting, Bill?
7: All the time, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then sometimes uh, a couple of people, weeks.
2: Yeah, and and in meantime, you're having to pay for the papers. So you're having to declare bankruptcy as a newspaper boy. Yep. And then... You carry deadbeats. (laughs) Right. And then you would hope you were related, you know, to like somebody in the Banano crime family who could come with you. And, you know, who was like good at collecting on a VIG. (laughs) And they would say, you don't give the kid his money. I'm going to burn your freaking house down.
7: When I first got my route, my father bought me, when I was 12, my father bought me... um, one of those change things that you clicked on the, on your belt.
2: Yeah, like right, the ice cream guy. The, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. How many? How many? You had 142 daily. So when you went to collect Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, how many deadbeats generally in a week?
7: Well, I think the first night out, you're lucky if you got half of them
2: Thursday night, you know. And God forbid, Bill, God forbid the Yenters didn't get the paper with all the coupons in it. They refused to pay you, remember?
7: Well, sometimes people said they didn't get the paper. Now, whether somebody took it or something on you, you know, you you didn't know. But I'll tell you, when you ride up and down the street, and I had to ride all over over God's creation in the Queens side of Florida Park because everybody else got the news, Long Island Press, or whatever else. Um, I started off, I think, with like 32 papers in 1972, and then kids would quit the route, and then the, the manager always had trouble getting the kids, so we'd always say, oh, Billy, can you do me a favor and uh, do this kid's route? And then, so I absorbed routes, and I also canvassed, you know, for the footballs and the baseball bats and the baseball gloves,
2: get the prizes if you sign people up, so yeah, but Bill, you didn't re- you didn't realize that at that young age in 1972, you were learning to do arbitrage.
7: I did that that route every day. I felt I felt like I was in the army. Rain, snow, sleet—like the mailman. You go out there, you get soaking wet. You learn to live with it. It felt good. And you get home, and you're like, ah, another
2: day. I got it done. Yeah, but still, Bill, you had it to deliver. We see the post guys and postcals. Sometimes they dump the mail, they put it in their garage. They don't deliver it for, for years, remember?
7: I you know, I couldn't believe that when you hear that on the news the last couple of years. I'm like, holy cow, what the fuck?
2: Try not delivering your paper one day on your route. One day, right, you decide I'm just gonna dump my papers. They, no, show, up, they show up they show up at your house with pitchforks.
7: You know, my old man used to deliver the press. He was born in, like, 36. He did that when he was a kid. And, you know, if I didn't do my route right, you know, he wanted to do it.
2: <laughs> yep. And, and, Bill, I used to, in the afternoons in the summer, deliver the Long Island Press in Canarsie. You know why? No, I don't know. It had all the racing results. It was like a cheap racing form for a nickel. All the degenerate gamblers were waiting, oh, i got to get to power mutual you know, because there was no simulcast back then. So you had to depend on the newspapers when you were betting in your wire rooms with your bookies.
7: I got the last issue of the Long Island Press the day they denounced that they were going out
2: oh. in a box somewhere at my house. The day the Long Island Press died. It's like when WABC, right, the day the music died, the Long Island Press, how many nickels. And, you know, these degenerate camels, you know what they would tell me when I go to collect on Friday and Saturday, Bill? It's, hey, you know, I lost it all at Aqueduct. You feel sorry for me. I, I, I'll get a winner next week. I said, pal, you couldn't pick a winner if your life depended on me. Just give me a quarter. Something. Those
7: guys that delivered the press had it made because the paper was, was pretty light all the time. And they could just flip them, and and you know. Yeah, and not
2: only that, the Long Island Press had news from like four days ago. The only reason you got the Long Island Press, they had no Long Island news. It was because it was a cheap racing form. All the degenerate gamblers, like they would get the Bulldog edition of the Daily News. How many of you would wait at your local candy store luncheon at ten o'clock at night for the Bulldog edition? Of the Daily News had a little pink at the top. Had nothing to do with being gay or straight. Had a little pink, pink top. Why did they call it the Bulldog Edition? See, let's really strain the brain of our Frank Marano listeners. Why did they call it the Bulldog Edition of the New York Daily News? one 800 848 That's 1-800-848-WABC. Neil Young, you, you, you broke my heart. I love Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and then all of a sudden you did the unthinkable. And they banned you from the USA and sent you back to Vancouver, British Columbia. So then it was CSN instead of CSNY. We're going to continue on our retrospective, our commemoration, to make up for all the times that Frank Murano promised his listeners... That there would be a commemoration on the day that John Lennon was assassinated. And all he wanted to talk about was Al Josen and Eddie Cantor. Instead of, Eddie Van Halen, he's gone, yeah! You see how he plays the guitar?
1: Psych! (laughs)
2: This is where it's at. This is what Joe Biden should have been telling Vladimir Putin that he's in a free world. With the baby Now, Neil Young broke my heart. Broke my heart. I love Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, CSNY, and then they did a bris to the Y. They sent him back to Canada, to Trudeau land. Not Junior, Twinkle Toes, the original senior, you know, decadent, debaucherous, Trudeau. By the way, who was the senior Trudeau snacking on? Because back then, they were all snacking on different women. Who was the senior Trudeau snacking on when he sent tanks into the streets of Quebec, into Montreal, because of Rene Levesque and the Quebecois, who were separatists who wanted to break away from English-speaking o Canada? Boy, that's asking a lot of the Frank Marano audience. That's a History Channel question. <laughs> anyway, one 800 That's 1-800-848-WABC. So, Neil Young was staying in a house on Sunset Boulevard in L.A., Cali, Cali, not far from the notorious, infamous Chateau Marmont, which had the cottages. Remember where Belushi went and some of the other trendoids, Robin Williams and so many others? And it would be shot up with speedballs, a combination of heroin and coquina. And John Belushi got shot up and he died. But a few blocks away, at this old broken down house with a porch, jamming on the porch, you'd walk by there. You said, oh, my God, that's Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. That's Neil Young. And you know who was jamming with him, playing guitar and singing? Charlie Manson. And you know who Neil Young's backup singers were, those female backup singers rocking in the free world? Squeaky Fromm. And some of the Charlie Manson women. Think about this. These guys, well, especially Neil Young from O Canada, ultra liberal, ultra progressive, hanging out with a neo-Nazi, you know, with the Nazi swastika in his forehead. Geraldo Rivera would schlep up every year to Vacaville Prison, Northern California, prison for the crazies. And he would do the interview with Charlie Manson, right? And you say to yourself, this guy's a nut job. He's a screwball. Why would Dennis Wilson be hanging out with him say, oh, he's a great musician. Should have a band of his own. Neil Young gave him a brand new Harley Davidson to Charlie Manson. Which he parked right outside of that psychedelic shack. That's where it's at on Sunset Boulevard. Everybody knew it. And they were calling up record company executives, CEOs, who were in a drug-induced psychosis themselves back then. You know, with Homegrown, Hydroponics was just sort of starting out. Oh, you got to give this guy a record label or deal. They were promoting Charlie Manson. And which Beatles album? Did Charlie Manson say, it was almost like the son of Sam, who remember up in Yonkers said the dog was talking to him, Sam told him he had to go out there and kill. This schoolboy. Charlie Manson, said he was listening to this particular Beatles album that instructed him on what he and his groupies and his family, the Manson family, would have to do. Now, the Beatles had no relationship with him whatsoever. Do you think you could answer that question? As we try to make amends, we try to make up for the lack of sensitivity and empathy that Frank Marano wants to talk only about Al Jolson and, and Cantor instead of the day, December 8th, when John Lennon got assassinated outside of the Dakota. And let me tell you, times changed. Before that... People of his status would walk around the city, no bodyguards. They didn't need it. After that, whew, it went all downhill until Rudy Giuliani rescued the city, 1993, when he was elected mayor, and turned us from the murder capital into the safest big city in America. It really did start with the assassination of John Lennon. one 800 That's one 800 W-A-B-C. Let's go, if we can, to Roy, who's calling from Greenwich. Is this Greenwich, Connecticut, Roy?
9: It says Connecticut. What else has it, Greenwich? Greenwich Village, you mean?
2: All right. I I want to ask you a question because the few times I've tried to go up uh, to Greenwich uh, on the New England Thruway, I take the exit, and they have a gate. You know, and they have one of these select men with the lime green pants and the lime green jacket and the logo telling me, you're an urchin. You can't come here. In fact, nobody tells you that. Yeah. You have to pay to go to those beaches, right? Like Todd Beach and all those beaches?
9: Oh, the beaches. Oh, yeah, the beaches. You have to pay. Either you live in the town or you have to pay something. Or if it's you, they won't let you on anyway. Yeah,
2: you, don't, you don't want people from yeah. the Bronx coming Listen, up to
9: Jerry the beaches. Gerard. Right? I worked with Jerry Gerard. He did the sports on Channel 11. Yeah. He did the Minute oh, News. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I used to get the daily news, the first star, about 9 o'clock. I used to shoot the picture. We used to put it on Channel 11. Wow! That the Bulldog was available. And the Bulldog was named that because people went out with their dogs, walked the dog, and bought the first star edition. You couldn't be more
2: hopelessly wrong. Mm. So, Roy, who was running the Bulldog edition over the WPIX Channel 11 when they were in the Daily News Building, right, Roy? News Building. Yeah. And you know, WPIX, the radio station was in a chicken coop on the roof of the new york daily we news on building
9: 28th floor it was called the pix penthouse all my friends worked there and they were
2: like snacking on women right groupies coming up there right come well,
9: on you know fm had a small staff you could run a whole station in those days with eight people it was the am that had the big staff
2: i gotta tell you a story you're talking about right. fm you know what fm stands for roy
9: uh, FM
2: uh, frequency modulation. You you bought into that propaganda. Frequency modulation. <laughs> no, it means what does it stand for? Feeble-minded, fornicating, you know madly freaking morons and
9: free marijuana.
6: <laughs>
9: you know, you know, you should copyright your language. You don't speak English anymore. I remember you when you were in when you spoke English. You know what I mean? Wait a Roy. What?
2: I never spoke English. What the hell are you talking about? This is Curtis Sleewa. When have I ever spoken the Queen's English? I speak Slewanix. It is a language that I've created of spoonerisms, malaprops, fractured phrases. And I did it because I wanted to compete years ago with Ebonics. Remember, there was a way. Before there was critical race theory, they were trying to sell the curricula of Ebonics to inner city schools. And I wanted to halt that. So I said, why not a curriculum of Sliwanics, a language of fractured phrases, spoonerisms, and malaprops? that you would not be able to understand unless you purchase, in addition with that, a thesaurus and a dictionary of Sliwanis. Let me tell you a story. Recently, uh, who died? Former Brooklynite. Wrote a book about Brooklyn. Went to Lafayette High School. Great radio personality would actually go to sleep underneath the desk, the broadcast desk, in between talking appearances on the air when they would be running pre-record commercials. It was uh, Washington D.C. He'd go to Dukes afterwards. He "Hey, Roy from Saskatchewan," and then he ended up on CNN every night. He was the go-to guy. He would always say, "I don't read, I don't do any show prep." I'm just a lazy guy who likes to bounce checks and gamble. Larry King. Remember Larry King? Oh, yeah, yeah. Look at these hipsters, these huckleberries here. So Larry King was out in Los Angeles, and him and I got along because we're from Brooklyn. And he's telling a story at a banquet. He's receiving a radio honor that he didn't deserve. And he knew that. He even told him, I don't deserve this. Let me tell you how I broke into radio down in Miami. I was kiting checks because I was a degenerate gambler. So I had to take any job I could get. And some guy at the track said to me, hey, we got an opening for a DJ. What does a DJ have to do? All you got to do is put the record playing needle on the vinyl and make sure it doesn't skip. And then just reintroduce a different song. And that's all you got to do for like four hours overnight. So Larry King all of a sudden becomes an instant DJ. Very little talk. He's just playing the music, getting the check. That check wasn't a kited check, didn't bounce. And then he'd run off to the the track there. Well, one night, he's going to the supermarket to do his shopping, and he notices that there are some ladies. They're all hyped up on Larry King, the DJ. They don't know what he looks like. But they hear him say, oh, I'm Larry King. Are you the guy who plays all that fabulous music at night? Oh, it sends shiver me timbers up my leg. (gasps) So the guy, he thought he could get a shot of leg. So he's playing music at a little pillbox. Back then, the radio stations were like chicken shacks with big towers, you know. But they had no ambiance, you know. It was a little, like a pillbox. So he's playing music and all of a sudden... The phone rings. He says, the phone never rings. It's usually the owner or the general manager, if there's a problem, we're going to call. It's one of these hot-to-trot ladies who got the number for Larry King. And she goes, Larry, I need you. Larry, who never scored in Brooklyn, he even wrote about that in his book in Lafayette High School. He was considered a real schlub. He said, she goes, I need you, Larry. Could you come over to my house? So he takes a Freeform album that's like 28 minutes. You know, the play was like 28 minutes. He plays it. He, go, he runs out the door. He gets into the the car. He figures he's going to get a quickie from this fen fatal. And halfway through the song, it starts to skip. It starts, the phonograph starts to skip. He doesn't know this. And now the owner-operator, he's getting calls. The general manager's getting calls. What's going on at the station? The radio is skipping over and over while uh, Larry King is having uh, the humpty-dumpty, humpty-dumpty 10 minutes of his life. Leave it to say that by the time Larry King got back, the general manager was there. The owner was there, the owner's wife was there, I think he said uh, the owner's wife was Gilda, and he got fired. But see, now you know the rest of the story, huh? Did you know that story? Did Frank Morano ever tell you that story? Of course not. Fra- Frank Morano told Molly and I that story. Yeah, you and Molly. <laughs> Did he share it with the audience? Of course no, not.
3: No, this was off the air.
2: In a meeting, no Selfish. Less. <laughs> Selfish fun. <friend. laughs> Didn't shit. Now, on the day that Larry King died, don't you think when he was sitting shiver there with the hamantashen for eight days for Larry and his what, his eighth wife, ninth wife, I forget how many wives. They all looked the same, by the way. All look the same. Now, I look, I've had multiple wives. None of them looked the same. Larry King... The, the wife would divorce him, and he'd go out and he'd find someone with the same specs who looked exactly like his last wife. So the question is here. We know that Larry King died, right? We know the people were sitting shiver. Why didn't Frank Morano share that story with his audience? Why did it take me, how many years later, to share that story? You think that was a little selfish? Come on a minute, don't worry, you uh, you won't hurt Frank's feelings.
3: Well, it's great that the story's out there, because the moment I heard the story for the first time, I was like, this is hilarious, and he showed me, I just was telling the other guys in here, this is the exact video that he showed me of Larry King telling that story, and I was like, why wasn't this told on the air?" so
2: we know that Larry King told the story at the banquet where he was receiving the radio award that he admitted he didn't deserve. Yeah. Uh, We know that everybody laughed at that. Mm -hmm. We know that it's true because he had told other people. So he wasn't doing a Joe Biden. This was the real deal. Chad. I tell it on the air and Mm -hmm. share it with all the cognoscente. Many people may have even grown up with Larry King, maybe went to Lafayette with him and Fred Wilpon, who I hated. (laughs) So I share. And what does Frank Morano do? He's like a squirrel collecting nuts. <laughs> you know, just he puts it all away. I'm not going to share this with you. See, that's the difference. I believe in share, share alike. You invite everyone in on the joke. Right. But Frank Morano, he's going to keep it and then forget about it and never tell that story. Never tell that. But we're making up for what Frank Morano didn't do last year. He promised ad nauseum he would do a commemoration, a retrospective on the passing of John Lennon. And he sold the audience wolf tickets. Remember, we had the two callers. They were almost like crying. You know, Frank, I like Frank, but he did me wrong. Yeah. And that's why I went to Strawberry Field tonight. A little bit of spritz, a little snow, wearing my uh, black hoodie here. I'm looking like Slim Shady from 8 Mile. I got my tan slacks like I'm from Hawaii, like Mark David Chapman. See, so yeah, pump it up. Let that just now. These are the dirty people... They're singing, they've had their grog, their wine, their LSD, they've been smoking ropes of dope. You know, they're celebrating the life and times of John Lennon. Didn't even mention Yoko, no. No no time f- for Yoko. So I want you to be, this is like American Bandstand. Pick it or pan it. This is such a horrible rendition. They try and sing Strawberry Fields, Give Peace a Chance. I had to leave. I tell you i was getting nauseous i had to leave i'm sorry maybe some of you were there tonight and you said who's that guy there in the corner with the black hoodie and who would be wearing tan pants in the winter they look like corduroys and why the hell would anybody wear corduroys the last person i saw wearing corduroys in the summer was frank morano after he had his eighth martini why would you wear corduroys? one 800 848 That's 1-800-848-WABC. When
4: I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary
2: wait, comes wait, to wait, me. Wait, wait. Really? That must have been some strong acid. You know, maybe Jerry Garcia's free acid that they gave at dead concerts. Because there ain't no way the Beatles saw Mother Mary coming to them. When they're out there with the Maharishi Yogi, they at some ashram. And while they're doing Yogi and bending their legs behind their their necks, the Maharishi Yogi supposed to be celibate, pious, snacking on all their women. All right, you believe the propaganda, you young Hupco Berries. Oh, yeah, that's one of the greatest Beatles song of all time. Right, Eric in West Milford, New Jersey? Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eric. See, look at him. He couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle the fact that he thought that that song, let it be, he said, the greatest of all time. Not. Let's go to William in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC as we do our retrospective on the execution of John Lennon back in 1980
6: on this date. Yes, I'd like to answer the question uh The White Album was what uh, Manson got his inspiration from, and the song
2: was Helter Skelter. Very good. And William, wasn't it? Charlie Manson, again, neo-Nazi, racist, decided to uh, order his followers to go out, kill Tate, Ro They did, what, nine other murders in that summer of 69? The summer of Woodstock, the summer of the Miracle Match. Remember all that, huh? Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet he claimed that the trigger for that murder spree he was listening to the white album you're absolutely right and he was back scratching it like stairway to heaven back scratching it right. and he, and he heard paul speaking to him kill go out and kill right am i right right well,
6: yeah, he was sick, man. He was sick, sick puppy. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But meantime,
2: they all idolized Charlie Manson. Wow. Oh, neo-Nazi wants to start a race war between blacks and whites. So the the guy who broke my heart, Neil Young, gave him a new Harley Davidson. Dennis wow. Wilson. Crazy. The Beach Boys. Yeah, and who else? Who idea. else? Who else dedicated a song to him? Come on, come on! I know some of you listeners out there. Uh, let me give you some hips, hey, you hipsters and millennials there in the studio. They came out of the cornfields of Indiana for a while. Millikan. Come on, you know. Come on, great. Sh- sh- yeah, it's it, it's well after the Beatles.
8: John Mellencamp.
2: He's a fuddy duddy. Come on. He is from Indiana. You're right. I give you props for that. He actually went. You know what Indiana Beach is on the Great Lakes? They actually have a beach. No natural sand there. They had to truck it all in. They call that a freaking beach. Really? (laughs) That's John Mellencamp. Oh, yeah. John Mellencamp. No, no. Come on. Come on, hipsters and millennials. What's the album you play over and over and over? The group dedicated a song to Charlie Manson. The guy had the schm on his head before he lost some of his hair. Used to drink Southern Comfort, Knock it back. Had the guy with the, the funky hat on his head. He looked like a chimney sweep. You couldn't see his eyes. His name was Slash. Do I need to bring you to the promised land? Guns and roses. Oh, wow.
6: <laughs> See, this We got a real genius here. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> this is typical
2: of the Frank Morano audience. I got to lead them to the promised land. You know, in the next hour, do we still have that scam? I mean, that contest that's going, you know, where I ask 10 questions ah. and they you? give 10 answers. And Frank supposedly is going to put up $1,000.
9: You better believe it.
2: That Welcher, he'll never do it. He's he's hoping John Katsimatidis will bail him out. If anybody gets lucky enough, his listeners could never do it. Can never do it. Let's go to Bill in Congress, New York. Your turn to be heard here, Bill. How you
6: doing, Curtis? Enjoying the show. I think I know who the number one Beatles fan is. Who is that? John Lennon.
2: You know, Bill, how long have you been listening to this show? Oh, uh, tonight or no? No, tonight. T- just, just tonight. I don't want to. I don't want to strain your memory. Uh, but just an, tonight, an, an, an hour. Or so I've been ho- holding
6: for probably forty minutes. Of
2: course, like everybody else out there who thinks they know the answer. So you're saying the biggest fan of the Beatles was John Lennon? Yet he broke away from the Beatles. How does that make any sense, Bill?
6: Because I read in interview, you know, he he was a big Beatles fan. So I was thinking maybe this was a little bit of a trick question, and I was gonna get the answer, but I guess I was wrong.
2: Where did you read that in the Inquirer?
6: No, no, I read a lot of interviews. And I, he was a he was a fan of the Beatles. Bill, you know, Bill,
2: when you were standing online at the Piggly Wiggly supermarket, did you read that in some of the magazine racks? Oh, that...
6: No, no, he, he he, you know, he he was a Beatles fan. He he said it.
2: Bill, 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 Bill. Bill. If you were a fan, he would have been like Elmer's glue. He would have tried to keep the Beatles together. He broke away, Bill. I know. Did they ever have a reunion concert? Did they ever have a reunion concert at the Beatles? Now, how, many times, how many times, how many times are we told, oh, a reunion, any moment, right? They'd be pulling our chains, chilling, chewing our shit. Oh, we got, they just got to get one other. They, you know, Lennon's got, Yoko's got to agree to that because John Lennon is a Maytag. Remember how many times he would say that? And when People used to
6: say to Lennon, hey, when are you going to the Beatles together? He used to say, when are you going to go back to high school? In other words, when it's over, it's over. Oh,
2: I love that. When it's over, it's over. You know how many times I said that to my (laughs) ex-wives? When it's over, it's over. But they said to me, you still got to pay. That ain't over. You're going to have to pay me till the ends of time. Wow. This is a bit of a dense audience. I mean... Can we try Tom and what's Jesse? We already answered this question, right? Hey, Tom.
8: Hey, hey, Curtis. Hey, hey, Tom. <laughs> You're too much, man. Here we are at 3.30 in the morning talking about all this crazy stuff. So I have a question for you speaking about um, Ed Sullivan, the Sullivan Show back in the late 60s, early 70s. Ah. I, rem- I remember seeing this guy. He, he was on Sullivan once or twice, definitely once, because I watched this performance. It seems like you might remember this, too. His first name was Michael. Don't remember his last name. He was strumming an acoustic guitar, wearing a white shirt and a vest. His claim to fame, I don't know how he got on Sullivan, was that he was handing out $100 bills to people, to strangers on the streets in Manhattan and up in Westchester County. And he wound up on Sullivan. And then shortly after this, I heard him, I heard some or read some news story in like the reporter dispatch or something that he was arrested for driving backwards on the Bronx River Parkway. (laughs) So do you remember this guy, Michael something, something, maybe he had three names? Oh, like Mark
2: David Chapman?
6: Well,
8: yeah, right. Speaking or, you know, right. Speaking of
2: loonies. Driving backwards on the Bronx River Parkway. Slowly I turn.
8: Yeah, and handing out hundred dollar bills just,
2: you know, that's what made him famous, though. Hell he- yeah, that will no. make you famous. Everybody'll <laughs> love you then and these weren't counterfeit bills or monopoly uh, no, money. No, no,
8: it was real bread. He was you know, he was from Scarsdale or something.
2: All right, well I tell you what, Tom, I'll tell you what. That that's That's a good brain buster, because I have no, I can't even fathom what the answer is. Maybe somebody out there in a zombified way is half stung, God, perpendicular to the ground. They got their earbud in because their old lady or their old man doesn't want to listen to me, right? So they got to keep it quiet. If you happen to know what the hell he's talking about, give a call to 1-800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. But it reminds me
3: voluptuous conglomeration of feminine pulpitness that has ever been put together. I mean it. it it's just, uh, if you look for an epitome of conjuncture, this is it. And they are so demure and so voluptuous and so adhesive and so protruding. It's beautiful.
2: Who's that, Norm Crosby? <laughs> Norm Crosby, yeah. My predecessor, Dr. Erwin Corey. Uh, They partualized the language. They used fractured phrases, spoonerisms, malapromps. They made a whole career out of it. I mean, I remember seeing Norm Cosby with uh, Merv Griffin. Did I ever tell you I was on the Merv Griffin show there at uh, Alex Tully Hall at Lincoln Center? Really? Oh, yeah. Guy tried to perv on me, man, on the show. That's why he wanted me on the show. Merv was a little too friendly at that time. He had all the game shows. So Curtis. I could do a game show about the Guardian Angels, but we really need to go down to Atlantic City and discuss it. I said, no, no, no. It's okay, Murph. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, My my grandfather and grandmother loved him on Channel 5 at night, you know, during the week. But no, no, no. no. It's okay, Murph. Alice Tully Hall. Me. We know culture. I was on the Merv Griffith show. And then Mike Douglas, remember Norm Cosby, would be on with Mike Douglas in the afternoons. Not from New York. All shows didn't have to emanate New York. From Philadelphia. Mike Douglas. And who was the producer of the Mike Douglas show? Let me really strain everybody's brain out there. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I remember, they would rotate... One month it would be Norm Cosby. Next month it would be Dr. Erwin Corey. They'd be with Johnny at night, Johnny Carson. I don't know if they were ever with Dick Cavett. You know, Dick Cavett, he liked to, I'm the intellectual, I'm the intellectual. You know, I don't buy that nonsense. What do you mean nonsense? Let's go to Bill in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bill. Yeah, it's good good afternoon. Good evening. Good morning.
4: I have the answer to that person's question about who was giving away that money. I remember it very clearly. His name was Michael Brody, B-R-O-D-Y. And Ed Sullivan didn't exactly have to introduce him. So all he could say was, come on, let's hear it for the very generous Michael Brody. Let's hear it. And uh, uh, time later, it was a sad, sad ending. Uh, he, had, he, had, he had inherited a lot of money. So that's what he was doing with it, giving, giving it away. There were people camped out at his place. And a short time after that, he, uh, the checks that he was getting started to bounce, and it turns out uh, they had to uh, commit him, and then he died not too long after that. Kind of sad. Yeah,
2: you know, Bill. Michael Brody. Bill, you yeah? couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. Mm. That's the guy who jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge and survived. Did you know that? That guy's name was Brody. Not so- a Brody, then. No, 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 no. You're not going to bamboozle me on this one. You, you get on, you use up precious time. You talk about how the guy ended up being a welcher, bouncing checks. It was such a beautiful story that the original quarter told. Talk- and now you want to rain on this guy's parade. No, you're not going to do that here on the Curtis Sleaver Show. Because I know it was Brody who jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge. Not Johnny Weissmuller. Tarzan. Hey! No, 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 not in that Three Stooges classic. No, 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 no. It was Brody. Does anybody out there remember when Brody jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge and survived? And where was he from? Was he from the Manhattan side or was he from the Brooklyn side, which was its own city at the time? Ah, I spice it up for you. Brody, 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 Brody. One 9222 That's one 848 WABC.
1: Been a lot of uh, a lot of records over to turntables to make a very bad uh, simile. Uh, there is one thing that I want to say that will be probably the last time that I. In fact, it will be the last time I will ever be able to say this on WABC. And the last thing I'm going to say is, this is WABC New York. But. It's been a ball for almost 21 years for me, 17 years for you, Ryan, for almost 22 years of this programming that's been on the station all this time. And we'd like to play just a couple of things to nail it down. Uh, you
2: know they didn't want to play that. Rick Scalaw made them play that, the program director. Oh, I know that. I know that for a fact. So stop, stop right here. Don't try to do revisionism here. They didn't pick their own music. That was Rick Scalar. Come on. Remember, I, mean, I grew up then. What do you Huckleberries know? You don't even know. Rick Scalar, who's that? <sighs> didn't anybody understand that Brody, right? Brody is the guy who jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge and lived to tell the tale. He owned the saloon. Let me give you another tip. He was a saloon owner, which means he must have knocked a few back before he crawled up to that tower and jumped off the highest point of the Brooklyn Bridge into the East River and survived. His name was Brody. But which side of the bridge did he live on? The Manhattan side? The elite side? Or the side of the city of churches? Because at that time, it was independent and autonomous Brooklyn. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Craig, patiently holding on the line from Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Craig.
4: Hey, Curtis. I I heard you've been feeling had better days. (laughs) The answer to your question is Roger Ailes.
2: That's right, producer of the Mike Douglas Show.
4: I got to tell you a quick story. I worked at Unitel, right? And Sally Jesse Raphael had Annette Funicello on as a guest.
2: Oh, I love so Annette. I'm
4: so sitting, I'm sitting in the conference room with the door open waiting to see her because I loved her as a boy watching the Mickey Mouse Club. So she had MS at the time, and she was in a wheelchair. So someone was pushing her through the hallway. But I went over, and I said, hi, Annette. And she went, She growled at me like an animal.
2: Well that's because you're a real freaking gavon, Craig. You sneak up on Annette Funicello, right? Beach blanket bingo. There were guys who had their first experience just imagining about Annette Funicello, you know, self pleasurizing themselves, I'm talking. She was a little too ethnic for Hollyweird, you know, a little too Italian. And who is the Canadian who was a boyfriend? Uh Canadian crooner. No, no, no. It wasn't, it wasn't Neil Young, okay? Great songwriter. Churned out so many. He's still writing songs and still singing. Let me give you... Look at these young hipsters. They have no idea. Uh, let me give you uh, the acronym of his name. P.A. Do I need to connect the dots for you?
3: I, the one I was thinking was F.A. I, w- I was thinking of her partner from all the beach movies, Frankie Avalon.
2: No, no, what are you talking about? It was Paul Anka. Paul Anka, <laughs> yes. Psych! What <laughs> <laughs> are you, his yes man? See, <laughs> I say Paul Anka, and you right away, oh yeah, Paul Anka. You had no idea. Come on, admit it. I you, No, I had no idea that they you dated. You were set on Frankie Avalon. You should have stood with your answer. But I throw this Canadian thing in, no, Paul geez. Anka, he's still writing songs, <laughs> he's still singing, and you went for it hook, line, and sinker. So you lost the Curtis Lee Booby Prize. Don't tell. Don't ask. Don't tell. We're so cheap, we throw nickels and line like manhole covers. And you would have gotten my belly button lint, hermetically sealed, scotch tape in an envelope, and I would have sent it by United States Parcel Service. So it would have probably taken, you would have gotten it by about February 24th. And I would have sent it COD also, cash on delivery. You had the answer. And you you ju- you see how easy it is to flip you? Let's go to Tony and Bayon, the gateway to the world. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tone. Yeah, Curtis, you got the
3: wrong information, man, with Manson and the Tate LaBianca murders. Had nothing to do with the Beatles and Helter Skelter. Ready? Terry Melcher had lived at the Tate residence where Sharon Tate was staying six months before. Stupid Charlie, he had, he had a revenge motive there because Melcher had been a record producer that Charlie thought had, had been screwed by Melcher. Char- Charlie had no idea Melcher had moved six months before. Motive for murder number one. La Bianca. Charlie and the family were hanging out at the neighbors of uh, La Biancas for a while, and the La Biancas called the cops and had the Manson family removed. It was all about revenge. Do you understand?
2: Kabish. Do I understand? Kabish. You're telling me, Tony. Tony. How do you know? How old were you? When the Tate LaBianca murders were committed, how old were you, Tom? Only seven. But there was a documentary. Oh, but when you were seven years years old, you were omnipotent. You knew all things. You were like the Dalai Lama, right? You were born into the world a god, right? You gonna listen? You gonna listen? There was a documentary
3: about it a couple years ago. You wanna go check it out?
2: Oh, so just because one documentary had that as the rationale for the nine murders all summer long in 1969, you're going to buy that lock, stock, and barrel.
3: Did you really think that a jury going to believe that that crap about he was sending subliminal messages? to? The, I, I realized they were using the drugs, man. I got it. That was all just a scam for him to try to get off. Revenge, Curtis. Come on, you're from the streets, man. That's what you say. Revenge is the oldest motive in the book,
2: right? No. Really, having sex is the oldest (laughs) thing in the book. And sometimes it does lead to revenge. I'll give you that, Tony. You know, if you have sex with the wrong person, then somebody wants revenge on you. Ah, Tony gave me a bit of a hard time there. It was sort of like... uh, you know, we were, we were pulling the rope. He was pulling the rope one way, but uh, no, 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 he, he had his points. But speaking of white albums, I remember I was a little older than seven, times that by two. I'd take my money from my paper route delivering the daily news. I'd take the LL train, lousy line. I would take it over to, uh, 14th Street, get off there. And walk up, walk down, downtown to St. Mark's and Avenue A. All the hippies. Peace, love, and happiness all over the place. And they had the St. Mark's record shop. All vinyl. And they had white albums. Not like the Beatles' white album. That was a legitimate white album. They'd have a white album and they would tell you, Psst, got these white albums. Jimi Hendrix at the East Fillmore. Some guy. Had a tape recorder in the audience and taped Jimi Hendrix. Now, you know it's not an authenticated album. You know it's, you know it may it may be a little difficult to hear, but if you really want to hear those riffs of Hendrix on the guitar, you gotta buy this white album. I said, "Well, wow, Jimi Hendrix. How do I know it's Jimi Hendrix? Trust me. Ten dollars. Ten dollars back then. It's like a fortune. You bring it back." You know, to your Victrola because it had the television, the Victrola where you played the records, and then you play it and you said that doesn't sound like Jimi Hendrix. So you take it, you sh- schlep all the way back to St. Mark's Records where they're selling vinyl and all the hippies are lined up, and you said this is this does not sound like Jimi Hendrix. How do you know it's not Jimi Hendrix? Were you there? I said, of course I'm not there. But you told me it was taken into East Fillmore in the village, the Lower East Side. Did you give me $10? Yeah. Tough noogies. That's what you get when you get a white album. You never knew what you were getting. How many of you out there? And then remember that story about Brody driving backwards on the Bronx River Parkway? Remember the guy Slick Rick. Remember Slick Rick with the eye patch. You know the old school rapper. These hipsters and millennials—they have no idea. He—he he was one of these original rappers. He had an eye patch. You know, he was like number one, second, and none from the for a while from the Bronx. He's hanging out at the Eden Wall Projects in a car, and some guys who had a diss and dismiss with Slick Rick. Drop dime on Slick Rick to the cops at the precinct on Edenwall, which is right in the projects off Gun Hill Road. And they say, hey, Slick Rick, he's got a whole trunk full of illegal guns. So the cops, five oh, they get all excited. They put their sandwiches down and actually their cup of coffee. And they know how to chase Slick Rick. Who else is wearing an eye patch and is a black guy? So Slick Rick is in his car, his Toyota. He's got his pregnant girlfriend next to him, a trunk load of weapons. He's speeding down the Bronx River Parkway going like 125 miles an hour, crashes into a meridian, almost kills himself and his pregnant girlfriend. He gets collared, arrested, and he gets deported to Jamaica like years later. For being what? An illegal alien. Now, when they do the rap uh, performances, the retrospectives, who's back up there in the Bronx? At the uh, Rap Hall of Fame there? Slick Rick. I'm trying to figure out, how did Slick Rick get back into the country? Do you think he came across the border between Mexico, California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas? How did Slick Rick get back into the country? How did he become whole again? How did he suddenly no longer be considered an illegal alien? But he was made whole. Inquiring minds want to know.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
2: We know Frank Murano is tired. Tired of doing radio because he's doing a Buttigieg, 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 milking the system for paternity leave. Look. Look at our colleague, Greg Kelly, right? He multitasks. You can hear him on WABC Monday through Fridays from one fifteen to 3. Does a great job. Right before my chich, Rudy Giuliani. On Friday, remember, moments before he was to go on the air, he got the call from the hospital. His wife was delivering their second child, a baby girl. I saw him earlier tonight at the Oak Room in the Plaza Hotel where I swore I saw the ghost of Donald Trump from uh, Home Alone. Remember which Home Alone was that again? What was that? One, two, three, or four? Whatever. With Joe Pesci. Remember Pesci? Yeah. But I, I, I divert. So Greg Kelly's there, Newsmax. They got everybody there. Talk about a super spreader, right, in the Oak Room. My God. But everybody was having a good time. And I'm looking at Greg Kelly, who's like multitasking. You know, he's doing his radio show, and he's doing his uh, show at night for Newsmax at 7. And then I'm thinking, of Frank Marano, what the hell? Is this like, what, the fourth week, the fifth week? How many weeks have we been into this since Carmine was born? He's now, what, 18 pounds? Came into this world, 13 pounds, and the guy's still milking the paternity payout train. Because his hero was Buttigieg, 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 Buttigieg. Buttigieg took, what, three months and nearly destroyed this country. Destroyed this country. And what are the Democrats saying? Oh, he's presidential timber. You know what I like to say? Buttigieg, Buttigieg, Buttigieg. So, who knows? Yeah, I'm sure Carmine leads Frank, right? You don't even want to leave Frank alone with your own kid because he'd be talking nonsense to your kid, driving him nuts. I'm sure his wife, Rachel, is saying, get out of the house. First of all, he's probably smoking stogies in the house. His His wife, Rachel, is probably choking out. And he's introducing his son. His son is wondering, is that a bottle, Dad? What is it you're drinking all day? Those dry martinis. So he's not here. As a result, we have this scamp, I mean, this uh, contest that I am forced to do because it's a benchmark. And you know, WABC has its benchmarks. So the brand new program director, Matt Meany, no sense of humor whatsoever, you got to do these benchmarks. So I said, Matt. Not for nothing. But you really think the Frank Morano listeners are going to be able to get ten answers in sixty seconds? He said, Did you see the questions, Curtis? I said, Yeah. They're not brain busters. It's like special ed. You gotta do the benchmark. And Frank Morano has said he'll put up a thousand dollars that he doesn't have. He's putting up a thousand dollars of John Katsamatitis and Margot Katsamatitis money. He didn't tell them yet. But so far, the only person who's come close is Mike, who swore he never listened to WABC. He listens to WINS. And I said, what would it take for you to start listening to WABC other than on this occasion? He said, if John Casamitidis sells the station. I said, what are you, out of your mind? He saved this station. He got 9 out of 10. Well, let's see if there are any Frank Morano Mensa scholars out there. You get a chance to make a thousand dollars. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Now it usually takes us about ten or fifteen minutes to get a contestant because it takes them five minutes to write the number down. Then to dial it on a rotary phone. These are Frank Morano listeners. They have rotary phones. 1 eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 848 9222. To make a thousand dollars. What do you got to lose? Other than your dignity and pride, I humiliate you. 1 800 848 WABC. That's 1 eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 9222. Now, it normally takes about 10 minutes, you know, for it to sort of get Give or take. permeate. You know, through the medulla and cerebellum. It takes a little bit of time. Wow, $1,000? Yeah. What do you think, hon? We got some bills. Yeah. Like, who's going to pay the cable bill? I don't have that money. You know, we got to get presents, you know, for the grandchildren. And, you know, finally, after like 10 minutes, it dawns on them, give it a try. But I'm forced to do this benchmark. This is like torturous. This is like, I know it's a scam. 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 WABC. You know, this ain't like when Jim McMahon would come to. Jim McMahon, the quarterback for the Chicago Bears? No.
11: <laughs> You're awful funny, aren't you?
2: Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Not that time. <gasps>
1: we have a. Can you believe it? A contestant. <laughs> yeah. The Other Side of Midnight presents. It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano.
2: Not this morning. But now, Tom, you're from Edgewater, New Jersey. Are you Japanese? Because, like, everybody out there is Japanese. Are you Japanese, Tom? No, sir.
1: Okay.
2: No, sir. You eat at any of those sushi and sashimi restaurants all throughout Edgewater, do you? do you? Uh, I like the Korean food
1: in Palisades Park.
2: Okay, you like the kimchi breath.
1: Not kimchi,
2: no, sir. All right, okay. We've established that. So you you are credible. You are next to Palisades Park, Swings All Day, and after, uh, after Dark, Cliffside Park, and Edgewater, correct?
0: Roger.
2: And you're very close to where... Mayor elect Eric Adams lives right there in Fort Lee, an apartment twenty two H, right?
0: Unfortunately,
2: yes. Okay, good. This is legit. We we vetted him out. This guy has a shot. Do you often listen to the Frank Morano show?
0: Uh that's all we got to listen to on the way into work,
2: yeah. You, know? <laughs> <Boy>, you make <laughs> Tom, you make it seem like, hey, I got nothing else to listen to, right, hey, Tom? Uh- I love this station. Uh, Frank's good, too. Good, good, good. Okay. Now, you ready for these questions? Yes, sir. Oh, these are tough. Our crack team of hipsters and millennials came up with this. (laughs) You won't have to read the Encyclopedia Britannica. I promise you that. Okay, ready? Yes. In, in In what year did the blizzard of 1888 occur?
8: 1888.
2: What great American composer was this Stephen Sondheim Theater named for?
13: Stephen Sondheim.
2: The word mortgage is derived from which language?
13: English.
9: Mm
2: -hmm. No, no, no. I'm going to (laughs) give him some slack, and I'll tell you why. Because he loves WABC. To have to listen to Frank Morano every morning, you really (laughs) love it. So I will give you another shot, okay? Nicki Minaj-Etois, Anaconda, heavily samples which 1990s number one hit wonder?
7: Too bad I don't listen to Nicki Minaj. I lost.
2: Mm, Nah, you might get STDs. Nicki (laughs) Minaj-Etois, or whatever. You know... You really got
0: to be well-rounded to get these answers. You got to, you know...
2: No, 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 I know, I know, but understand, this, these these questions and answers came from hipsters and millennials who are still trying to find themselves, you know, they're like 30, they're like 35 41, years old, they're still,
0: I just made it, I yeah. just made it not to be a millennial,
2: yeah, well see, they're still sleeping on mommy's Castro convertible in the living room,
7: <laughs> that's right,
2: now, now, oh, there's some other questions here. I might as well throw it to you. Let's see if you can get them, because then you'll qualify for a tchotchke. And Frank right. Morano has yet to tell us what the tchotchke prices are. So hopefully you get these. Who was the first elected Republican president of the United States? No idea. He's on a $5 bill. Abraham Lincoln. Very good. Who directed the 1980 film *The Shining*?
0: Stephen King.
2: Uh, close. Stanley Kubrick. So you know something, Tom? I was going to say that. Yes. Yeah, you were right. Sure, you were. Uh, <laughs> but you gave it a good try, Tom. Believe it or not, you were the only person who tried to compete.
0: I got out
2: there, right? Yeah, and to me, you know, the reason I think that so many people don't compete is they recognize it's like impossible to get 10 answers in 60 seconds, right? Would you agree with me on that, Tom? Especially when you're not a millennial. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know something? I want you to get Tom's information from Edgewater, where he eats Korean food, not Japanese <laughs> food, and... I want to force Frank to have to send him a tchotchke. So please, get his information. We have no idea what the tchotchke prizes are. But we're going to force Frank Morano, the welcher, to give up a tchotchke prize. one 800 That's 1-800-848-WABC coming up. Remember your 15 seconds of infamy. Now, normally you would be given like 30 seconds or 60 seconds, but because you're so short-sighted and incapable of stringing together enough words in 15 seconds, we figured we would sort of like um, try to force you into that wedge. Anyway, let's go to the phones. And let's go to, if we can, in our retrospective, our commemoration, fulfilling the promise that Frank Morano broke to many of you to honor John Lennon on the actual date of his execution outside of the Dakota back in 1980. Let's go to Billy in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Billy. Yo,
10: Curtis. Um Thanks for doing this. I, I'm surprised we didn't get more calls from Lennon, but we might still... um but you know, he uh, in the last uh, mo- in the new movie that just came out about them, they're having a conversation about the last concert they're going to have as the Beatles, right? So, so Paul McCartney says, "Listen, guys, we're the Beatles. We got to have this in a Greek amphitheater, okay? We're the Beatles. It's got to be serious, you know, Greek amphitheater." And George Harrison is saying, "No, we should have it on a cruise ship. We should, you know, relax. Have it on a cruise ship." And and John Lennon says, "Why don't we have it in a mental asylum?" You know, and and it kind of it kind of shows the breakup happening because he he there was angst during the the movie because they were breaking up,
2: right? So it's a it's a great line. But I wanted to ask you um, also. Um, now, now let me ask you a question: Is that why the song "Breaking Up Is Hard to Do" was written? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, no, no, wait, I, wait a wait, second. Well, let, let me get this straight, Billy. So the classic. Breaking Up is Hard to Do, Breaking Up is Hard to Do, was actually composed, written, and sung as a result of the Beatles because we were told many times that they would get back together, that there would be a reconciliation, so to speak, that the lawsuits would be called off, they wouldn't blame Yoko Ono for their problems. And that they would come back together and possibly perform in either a mental asylum, a Greek amphitheater, or the Love Boat Cruise. Well,
10: Curtis, I, I love you. And we live in the age of political correctness. But every time, brother, you play, you talk about Paul McCartney, you should have him queued up singing, Get Back, Pakistani, you should have that queued up, brother. Every time you talk about that phony Paul McCartney,
2: that would be hilarious. Now, now, wait, second, I wait know. a second, wait a second. Billy... I don't believe that ever happened. I believe that you are pulling on me what I pull on the listeners: theater of the m- of the mind, tricknology. I never heard those words it's in I the video. N- I sent it to you. I, I ne- the original- Billy, I never heard those words, Billy. <laughs> I understand. We're in the age of political correctness. What okay. does that have to do with Pakistani? Because it's uh, it's the name of the song. When they're in the studio, they made a movie of it. The Beatles are singing Get Back Pakistani. It's no, no. Everywhere. I never heard that in the Yellow Submarine. I never heard that. <laughs> I never heard that in Abbey Road. I never heard that. And I hated those albums. I hated yeah, the Beatles.
10: I, anyway, I, anyway, I got one more question for you, Curtis. Do you think that Ukraine and Taiwan might be invaded simultaneously? And that's what might be going on. I, I, I'm just curious. What are your thoughts? I, I, I think it could happen.
2: We were having such a lovely time all night long. Did we discuss politics? Did we discuss geopolitical affairs? Taiwan, a.k.a. Formosa? Red China? Mainland China? Chiang Kai-shek? Mao Zedong? Did we discuss any of that? Did we discuss the Cultural Revolution, the Little Red Book? No. But here it is. You see, it's like you got an addiction, a Jones. You gotta, you gotta repeat what you hear on talking TV. Did anybody on talking TV do a retrospective, a commemoration on the execution of John Lennon? Of course not. They would actually have to think instead of read the teleprompter. Ooh, they burnt a Christmas tree outside of Fox News. Capital punishment. Don't worry, this is New York, uh, no bail. They catch the pyromaniac, right? (laughs) They'll be back out on the street. By the way, speaking of Christmas trees, so I'm walking through Greenwich Village today. I had to do a very upscale, hush-hush, mush-mush interview for ABC News about what else, the mob. And I'm walking, and I figure they're selling trees out there, right uh, south of 8th Avenue along Washington and Greenwich, Near the Dagostinos, where the local, the locals love to come in and get their cafe latte. And there's one of these Christmas tree stands that goes for like half a block. I wonder what kind of a VIG they're paying to the landlord there. And they have one of these huckleberries from like North Carolina. And I say, how much is a tree? A tabletop tree, a hundred dollars. Freaking hundred dollars. It's a toothpick. Then I said, well, what's one of the normal size trees? He goes, what size? I said, figure about six foot. $300. I said, where are these trees from? He goes, North Carolina. I said, this is a ripoff. You realize that? He goes, no, there's a shortage of trees. I said, yeah. And there was a shortage of menorahs, too. And somehow they had Hanukkah all eight days. I got into an argument with the guy. People, they're yelling at me. You know, there's a visitor. What do you? What do you give him? I, he's pulling a scam here. Three hundred dollars for a tree that looks malnourished. That's got like no tree limbs on it whatsoever. And then I told them in Greenwich Village, why don't you go buy a freaking artificial tree? <gasps> That's not part of the green. They use chemicals to make artificial trees. then they gave me that AOC, all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And by the way, cows fart. And as a result, that adds to global warming. I said, lady, did I ask you about dairy products? I'm lactate intolerant. And you had to bring up Elsie the cow. So I don't like going into Greenwich Village. They didn't vote for me. I looked at the voting rolls. I don't think not one of them, not one of them voted for me. Now you know why. 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-WABC. Remember, coming up, your 15 seconds of infamy, it awaits you. So we yeah, can give you an opportunity, you know, to actually write out with your Crayola crayons what it is you want to say in 15 seconds. Try to time it out so you don't bore us and wait up, waste our time. 1-800-848-9222. When we come back, I got beef with the R.C. Roman Catholic Church, the Pope, you know, who loves Che more than he loves Jesus. He's like a liberational theology. He used to be a bouncer outside of a nightclub in Buenos Aires. He becomes Pope. And then all of a sudden he decides that the sins of the flesh are not serious. What the hell? I had nightmares growing up. Oh, my God. If I snack on that woman, that's the sins of the flesh. I will burn in eternal damnation in hell. And now I'm being told, nah, not really. What else in my church is fake, phony, and fraudulent? Oh, I'm going to take you back. All of you who grew up with the Baltimore Catechism, not the Cincinnati Catechism, because that was over the rhyme. That was on Vine Street. That was different. I read both. Say so when you're in the Marriott Hotel, you commit sins of the flesh. What do you do when you're sitting in that hotel room? You reach into the bureau and you pull out a Bible so that you can, you can, you can make up for the sins of the flesh. So you read the St. James Bible and the benefit of the Marriott Hotel, since it's Mormon owned, you can read the Mormon Bible too. Two is better, right? Maybe, who knows? Maybe their God will give you dispensation instead of your God. I can't believe this. Pope Francis says, the sins of the flesh aren't that serious. They told me you would burn in hell. Apparently, uh, Prince Francis has taken a fire extinguisher and has put out the fires in the bowels of hell. one And by the way, whatever happened to Limbo? Remember all the babies who couldn't be baptized, who unfortunately would pass away? They didn't go to purgatory. They certainly didn't go to hell, but they weren't allowed into heaven. I always wondered, why wouldn't you let the little baby into heaven? They didn't do anything wrong. No, it's a special place for babies. Limbo. Not limbo. Limbo. And then all of a sudden, one day, I'm reading my Baltimore Catechism, which has... Limbo in there. And the new edition, they used whiteout. No more limbo. Whatever happened to limbo? And the Roman Catholic Church, they didn't miss a beat. They kept collecting your donations, passing the wicker basket. First you have the church fund. Then you have the archbishop's fund. Then the cardinal's fund. Then the Vatican's fund. And then you declare bankruptcy. And then they took away limbo. 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 WABC. Now I'm going to talk to you about the goop. What the hell is that? I asked for. I asked a simple thing, engineer. Ravi Shankar, right? And you give me some uh, edited version of it. You know, this guy, we've been talking about John Lennon, his passing all night, making up for the promise that Frank Morano never delivered to me as many listeners and the other side of midnight, which is a retrospective. He promised them, He never gave it to him. I'm making it up. And I talked about Ravi Shankar. You know, the deal was in. The fix was in. Hey, the Beatles said, we're coming back from our ashram in India. you know, dealing with this, uh, uh, who was it, Maharashi, uh, Maharashi Yogi. And if you don't put Ravi Shankar on Sunday night, the Ed Sullivan Show replacing Topo Gigio, the little Italian mouse, you'll never see us again. And, in fact, Ed Sullivan was wearing the love beads. I'm telling you, it's like the Rat Pack. Remember the Rat Pack? They started wearing love beads, you know, because everything was peace, love, and happiness at that time. I think he borrowed the love beads from Sammy Davis Jr.,
6: I know you're glad to welcome Topo Gijo back from Italy to New York City. So let's have a nice welcome for a little Topo.
2: <laughs> who did he get pumped for? Welcome back. Welcome hey. Rabbi Shankar. Hey. What a Shanda. But speaking of these fake, phony, fraudulent yogis, like the Maharashi yogi, who is credited with starting transcendental meditation, right? You know, the true story is the Beatles go over there, they claim they swear off booze, they're not smoking dope, and they're not dropping LSD. You know they were down to lying. So while they're doing the yogi exercises, they're putting their legs around their neck, they're doing all kinds of bends, strains, and pains, John Lennon and Harry Harrison, wait a second, uh, George Harrison, discover that... The Maharashi is snacking on their girlfriends while they're doing the yogi. So they pack their bags and leave. And then they said, Paul, Ringo, are you coming with us? Oh, no. We're in deep spiritual meditation. This guy was a TM freak. You know, years later, I'm with the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce. They were trying to get Howard Stern off of NBC because of all the things he was saying. So he comes in there, and he gives a speech about how he was a disciple of Transcendental Meditation, the Maharishi Yogi. Get out of here. He pulled their chain, chewed their shorts, schmoozed them, and they didn't try to get him off of NBC because he said he was a follower of the Maharishi Yogi. Do you remember up Hillcrest? Up the Hill, Hillcrest High School on one side. You had this guru over there called Sri Shamoy. Sri Shamoy. Remember, they would wear the orange chiffon, uh, all kinds of outfits, and he would do all these kind of stunts, you know. He would run like 52 miles straight without dropping dead. He would lift like 52 guys like he was an acrobat of some type. Meantime, he was snacking on all the women in his cult. Oh, Sri Shamoy. Oh, he's a godly man. Bull feathers. And now... Pope Francis, what a piece of work. Let me tell you something. (laughs) My church always comes up with an excuse for decadent and debaucherous behavior when it's the priests involved. The nuns, oh, no, that's it. You know, do a Joan of Arc to them. They're pious, they're chaste, but they're evil when they're guilty of the sins of the flesh. The men who were the priests, not so much. Let me give you the update here. Uh, In a papal encyclical, Pope Francis from the Vatican said, Lust is not the worst of the seven daily sins. There are worse indiscretions than sex outside of marriage. Sins of the flesh are not the most serious, the 84-year-old Pope said, regarding sex outside of marriage. Top transgressions instead include pride and hatred? Pride and hatred? Pope Francis' rankings of the worst wrongdoings followed the resignation of the Paris Archbishop who quit over a relationship with a woman earlier this month. The 70-year-old French cleric, Michel Obeid, denied being intimate with the anonymous female behavior that would break his promise of celibacy. Now, this is what he told the pope and the Vatican uh, board that was reviewing these charges. The pope said my determination is is that this priest was failing against the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery, but not a total one. It was just a small caress, a massage given to his secretary. That is what the accusation is. There is a sin but it's not the worst kind. You know, the next person who is going to be lining up for this dispensation is going to be Andrew Evil Cuomo, followed by Chris Fredo Cuomo. I guarantee you that. This is crazy. Pope Francis said he accepted the priest's resignation, not because he had sinned, but because of the rumors that were too damaging. The Pope said, I accept the Paris priest's resignation, not on the altar of truth, but on the altar of hypocrisy. Hey. how many sermons did we have to listen to when they wouldn't even let us kneel? We had to stand. You know how you sometimes get a chance to kneel during the Catholic sermon? No, standing for you. And the priest would give the fire and brimstone holy roller sermon. Not like the evangelicals and charismatics and the ones who like to put the snakes around their neck, you know, while they're dancing, hoping that the venom doesn't kill them. No, not as crazy as that. But you know what they would tell you? They would tell you, lust, if you lust, if you do a Jimmy Carter, if you actually lust for a woman, you don't have to touch her. You don't have to get intimate with her. You don't have to have the urge to merge. But, if you just think of it, that is a sin of lust, right? right? Isn't that what we were taught? Jimmy Carter confessed to Playboy that as the uh, first really evangelical candidate for president. That's why he won uh, the office the first time against uh, outgoing President Gerald Ford. Is that because he was the first evangelical? No, it wasn't a Republican. It was the Democrat, Jimmy Carter. And he said to Playboy magazine, he said, even to think of having sex outside of marriage is a sin. Now it's all blown up. one 800 848 Remember, coming up, your 15 seconds of infamy. Rev up your engines. I'm waving the checkerboard flag of the Indianapolis 500 to the winner. A bottle of whole milk. Not lactate, not 1% milk, 2% milk. Whole milk. Our number is one 800 848 That's one 800 wabc And I love this one. You know, we had the Swedish prime minister who was a femme fatale, a woman. She became the prime minister, then she resigned, and she became the prime minister again. I don't know what's going up in Scandinavia, but there's something freaky-deaky. So in Finland, they elected a 34-year-old woman to be their prime minister. I don't know, maybe there are like, uh, what, 880 people in all of Finland? There are more reindeer in Finland than there are Finns. Right next to Russia, by the way. So the Finnish Prime Minister, all 34 years of herself, filled with estrogen, hoping that it would merge with testosterone on the dance floor, was out raising the roof during a rave of electronic dance music till 4 a.m. in the morning exposing herself to COVID-19 because she was lip-locking on the floor and she had to do a public apology to all the Finns. This is crazy. Absolutely mind-boggling. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then finally, as we uh, complete, complete the loop, the promise that I made to all of you in the wake of Frank Marano selling you wolf tickets, promising a commemoration, a retrospective on the execution of John Lennon in front of the Dakota where he lived with Yoko, Sean, not with Julian, with Sean. Back in 1980 on this date, I went to Strawberry Fields tonight, I actually stood there incognito in my black hoodie, where I looked like uh, Slim Shady in 8 Mile. I had my tan slacks, although I could have been wearing corduroy with that crowd. And I taped as they were singing. Uh, They were like a choral arrangement. People were bringing their recorders, their kazoos, their guitars, about 30 of them, in the rain and the snow. Yeah, pump it up so we can hear some of this, you Garvone engineer. Who was there? Curtis Sleever was there, huh? Was our crack WABC News team there? Forget about it. Was anybody else there? Forget it. They didn't even know what was happening. But ironically, what took place is more people tonight ended up talking about Charlie Manson. Then about John Lennon, think of that. They would rather talk about evil incarnate. They would rather talk about the devil than people who are doing godlike things, like give peace a chance, right? Can I have a little bit of that music, Maestro? Because that is the only song worth playing today in the commemoration of John Lennon. Four hours we dedicated to this, and what did the Frank Morano callers want to talk about? Charlie Manson and Squeaky Fromm, and how Charlie Charlie Manson was motivated by Helter Skelter from the White Album of the Beatles now you know what I thought that you know what I thought the opening words were in that I didn't think it was no I really thought it was the F-bomb there
13: yeah really did Let's go
2: to Vinny in Caldwell, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Vinny.
13: How are you doing, Curtis? Now, hold on a second, well, Vinny. Hold on a second. Vinny, Vinny, Vinny.
2: Vinny. No, 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 don't hang up.
13: I know, I know, I made a mistake. Well, what was it?
2: what was the mistake you made, Vincenz?
13: Instead of hitting the volume, I thought I hit the off button there.
2: No, no. That was a <clears throat> slight indiscretion. You asked me, how am I doing?
13: Yeah, I just wanted to make sure you were there. Haven't you heard me ranting and raving for four all hours? <laughs> I know, I know, I know all about it.
2: But, but Now, now, uh, now, hold on a second. You're a brother, so you like John Lennon?
13: Yeah, I love John Lennon. Why is that? I just wanted to hit you with something with that. Uh, he run, once wrote that I have never been one to collect stuff, but I do collect memories. So in that respect, my life flashes before my eyes. I got that from his biography. When he wrote that, it was July 8th, 1980. You said he died September 8th, right? Uh,
2: No, December 8th of 1980, right outside the Dakota.
13: So that's kind of strange.
2: No, it is, but I'm telling you, uh, it was a different era, Vinnie. I've told this story many times. John Lennon would roam around the streets uh, of especially the Upper West Side, um, and, you know, there were famous people who would do that also. It wasn't just John Lennon. I remember seeing Joe Willie uh, Namath at the time. I remember seeing uh, Joe Peppertone. I remember seeing Mickey Mantle at the time, Uh, Walt Clyde, uh, Frazier. You know, they they didn't have bodyguards. They walked around by themselves. And when he got popped, when he got shot by Mark David Chapman, and by the way, Vincent, Mark David Chapman was married only like 16 months, to a woman from Hawaii who was, like, Pont Japanese, do you know that to this day she has remained loyal to him and comes and gives him conjugal visits?
13: Yeah, that's kind of weird. Damn right it's weird. You know, even with those uh, Charlie's Angels, you know, uh, Manson's, the girls there that went to prison, I was watching the show on that on TV, you know, it was like... Uh, the real description of what happened.
2: Now, now, Vincenzo, didn't you find it odd that tonight, which was dedicated to John Lennon, we ended up talking more about Charles Manson than we did John Lennon?
13: And, and they're both uh, pretty, uh, well, one's bizarre, one was a pretty good dude, but they're both pretty interesting uh, characters there and their lifestyles.
2: Yeah? And I guarantee you, Frank Marano will never talk about either one of them. Because if it doesn't have to do with Al Jolson or Eddie Cantor, you know, it doesn't play. 1-800-848-9222. Get ready to rev up your engines. Remember, we're going to give you that 15 seconds of infamy that you so lust you've thought about all day, you've been writing down all kinds of notations to remind you how to actually speak for 15 seconds, since you're limited in terms of your vocabulary and your thought process, and many of you Frank Morano listeners and callers, you're lucky if you get seven or eight seconds out. Let's go to Elaine calling from Riverdale. Your your turn to be heard here at WABC, Elaine.
11: Hi, Curtis. I took you down Lonely Lane a couple of days ago on a hunt for the New York egg cream. But I forgot to ask you, do you know about the raspberry egg cream?
2: Are you giving me the raspberry now?
11: No, darling. I just want to know if you've ever tasted one. I make them at home very, very often.
2: A raspberry? Wait a a second. A raspberry egg cream?
11: Yes. Instead of using regular seltzer, you substitute raspberry seltzer. And it is sculptures man. It is ideal.
2: Wait a second. I'm thinking back now as a young boy, Crown would uh, deliver, remember, the wooden tray of seltzer, the Spritz. Right. Mm-hmm. They didn't have raspberry seltzer back then. You do know that. That would be considered... Uh, 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 to have raspberry oh, yeah. seltzer.
11: You are a purist, but you can get raspberry seltzer at your supermarket.
2: Can I ask you a question, Elaine? Why did they never put eggs in the egg cream?
11: I wish I knew, but I meant to tell you the other day, if you beat an egg yolk with sugar and add orange juice to it, it foams up just like an egg cream. That might be
2: the reason. <sighs> she knows nothing about nothing about egg cream. I ask you a simple question. Why do they not put eggs in an egg cream? Why do they call it an egg cream? Look, I competed at the Brooklyn Diner. No, not in Brooklyn. Why would they have a Brooklyn Diner in Manhattan where they rip you off with outrageous pro- uh, prices? At the Brooklyn Diner, I competed in making egg creams. And drinking egg creams. I finished second place. To make it first, you had to have the chilled glass. And then the chilled spoon. And then you had to have the spritz. And then you had to have the u or the Hershey's or what I like, the Bosco. And then spritz it up. <laughs> stir it up real quick and then down it. And I asked the guy, where's the eggs? How the hell can you have an egg cream without eggs? one 800 848 That's 1-800-848-WABC. The time awaits you. You're 15 seconds of infamy. I know you've practiced. you practiced for hours as Frank Morano audience in front of the mirror. You've timed it out. You have your stopwatch. And you're still only going to do seven to eight seconds. I realize this is a major step for a lot of you. And I'm here to help you. I'm here to guide you. I'm here to give you remedial training ...as a talk radio caller. Hey
6: Jude, don't make it bad.
2: Why are you playing Paul McCartney, huh? I hate Paul McCartney. This is a tribute to John Lennon. So what do you have to do? Play bubblegum music, Top 40, with Paul McCartney. Pretty boy there. I'd rather hear the Osmond brothers And brothers. With the Salt Lake City... Mormon Tabernacle Choir than Paul McCartney. God, it, it, even the staff here, it's like, we're not talking Paul McCartney. John Lennon. It wasn't Paul McCartney shot? He's too busy rolling fatties out in the Hamptons and getting locked into a purple haze every day. An ounce a day. He doesn't care with the seeds, with the stems. It doesn't matter. Toke it up. Puff, puff, pass. So we're gonna go and give you an opportunity to get 15 seconds of infamy. Now, I just want you to know that Frank Morano purloined this off of me also, just like he did the Swan Silvertones. I'm not tired yet. He claims, oh no, no, this was from Alan B. Combs. He couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. I don't want to disparage Alan B. Combs because he was great. Theater of the Mind, Overnight Broadcasting. That's when he was at his best. He didn't discuss politics. We barely touched on politics. Too much. It strains the brain. So let's go to Evelyn, who's calling from the gateway to America Bayonne. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Evelyn.
11: Curtis, I'm wondering if you'd represent me. Court, because I'm gonna get evicted for disturbing the peace in my building by busting out laughing from one o'clock to five. You,
2: you you cut off Evelyn. You gave her a burst there because she was praising me. You see. see you notice Evelyn how they? You notice how they cut you off, Evelyn?
11: Cut me! They don't understand, Kurt.
2: Nah. They're, they're, they're little huckleberries. You know, Evelyn?
11: I laugh all day.
2: This is good. Laughing is good for you. A good belly laugh. And it's as you day. as you stare off past the old standard oil company docking there where all the cruise nuts come into Bayonne now. You're right. Just just keep laughing. Just keep laughing,
12: Evelyn. I will.
2: Thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you. Well, so quick to want to pull the plug on her. What are you, a misogynist, a sexist? Let's go to Raj uh, in Manhattan. Your 15 seconds of infamy awaits you, Raj.
4: How dare Sissy Chrissy Khan label Ashley Babbitt a terrorist when, in fact, she's a modern-day martyr just as Joan of Arc of your. Thank you.
2: Love the rolling of the
9: cars.
2: Let's go to Mike in Daytona Beach, Florida. Talk about rev up the engines. It's the checkerboard flag of victory. The Daytona 500, your 15 seconds of infamy awaits you, Mike.
0: Top of the morning, Curtis. Hard to believe the great John Leonard was assassinated 41 years ago, and you read Strawberry Fields last night. If I was up there, I would have been there, too. Uh, last thing, I wish John the the a new owner, would talk
2: Got carried away with himself. It's only 15 seconds, Mike. Uh, let's go to your namesake in Staten, Italy. Your 15 seconds egg. of infamy await you, Mike.
10: Egg cart is no egg and eggplant either, but liverwurst sandwiches and Canada dried ginger ale at Dino and Sons Woodside.
2: There's no egg and eggplant? That? My Aunt Mary, when she would fry the eggplant, she put an egg in there. What is she talking about? Let's go to Tommy in the Bronx. Your 15 seconds of infamy uh, awaits you, Tommy.
6: Yeah, I like to say that I think on Sunday, with the lighter
10: programs like Joan Hamburg and Cindy Adams, and maybe yourselves, uh, you should try to have a Christmas party right on the air.
2: Yeah, and we'll we'll have mistletoe there, right? Which one will I lip lock, Cindy Adams or Joan Hamburg? What are you trying to say? I'm as old as them, Tom. What a a degenerate, Tom, is. You imagine me in a room with Cindy Adams and Joan Hamburg and his mistletoe there, and I'm fighting to see who is the one that's going to lip lock who. What a bunch of degenerates. I'm offering you 15 seconds of infamy, Joe, in Orange County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe.
0: Yes, the Catholic religion's a business, just like all these other religions. And the Beatles are overrated, that's for sure. And also, there's no beer and root beer. How come?
2: Wait a second. I've seen many Irish guys drink their root beer with beer in it. Now, it's true. They put the Rheingold in there, the Schlitz, the Chafer... But they spiked it. Let's go to Roger calling from Massachusetts. Your 15 seconds of infamy awaits you, Raj.
0: Essentially, we have shooting galleries all over the place now. We can get free needles, free supervision, and free Narcan, regardless of your previous life uh, choices. There's should set up clinics all over the place now. Where you can get free COVID testing and free monoclonal.
2: 15, wow, today they're a little spritzy here. They're going more than 8 to 7 seconds, so I don't know what it is. Maybe they had a few Red Bulls. Let's go to Patrick in the Bronx. Your 15 seconds of infamy awaits you, uh, Patrick.
8: Inexplicable
7: assassinations. Gandhi, Martin Luther King, John Lennon. And Lennon was 90% of the
2: Beatles. Hmm. Inexplicable? Gandhi? No. Oh, Memphis, Martin Luther King? No, that degenerate, neo-Nazi, he's dead. But Sirhan Sirhan is alive at 77, and Robert Kennedy Jr. wants him sprung? I think six out of the nine kids of Ethel said, no, let him rot in jail. The other three said, release him. I always thought Sirhan Sirhan was a CIA agent. Oh, we got to get into that in a few hours, in the other side of midnight, where we give you full exposure to theater of